0: Thanks for clicking on the video. Hit us with a like on Facebook, a subscribe on YouTube, a follow on Instagram. You can find us at homie and the dude. That is at homie and the dude. Thanks again. Enjoy the video.
1: Welcome everyone to Homie and the Dude episode 31. This is in fact our last episode of season one with a guest. So we're quite honored and uh and happy to have Vlad Rimberg. Vlad is an action director, a fight coordinator and a pre-vis action designer. And we're going to get into all of that. Um, before we start with with Vlad, we're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, VEAST.Kitchen, Bristol-based vegan food. Check it out. They serve dinner on uh, Thursday nights and Saturday nights. Also, we're going to have one more podcast before the end of the year. It's not going to have a guest on it. It's going to be just Bodie and I. And we're going to sort of recap uh, the experience that we've had in season one. So please join us for that as well. Yep. Yep.
2: <laughs> yep. 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 Um,
1: yep. Vlad Rimberg, thanks for joining us, man. What's up?
3: Absolutely, thank you for having me. Hell yeah, guys.
0: <laughs> thanks, man. No, yeah, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, um, I wanted to kick things off by asking you actually a, a little bit about because we're we're big martial arts fans. Uh, we keep up with the UFC, and uh, we we even do like a fight show uh, every couple of weeks here. So. Um, I wanted to ask you, what got you into martial arts? Was it movies? Was it going to a class when you were a kid? Was it the bullies down the road? Like what what led to the love for martial arts?
3: Uh, I think I can answer that with four words, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan. Uh, (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's that's good words, man. (laughs) One of my earliest uh, childhood memories was watching a Jackie Chan movie. Mm -hmm. I think um, that influenced my martial arts career and eventually what happened from there on out. Um, I was born in uh, the former Soviet Union in Belarus and immigrated to the United States uh, at the age of six. Not too long after my parents put me in martial arts. So I had this desire to do martial arts and I was always messing around as a kid. I'd tell my dad, hey, I know martial arts, come here. And he'd stand there, next thing you know, i just kick him in the groin and he'd <laughs> kneel over and be in a lot of pain and be like, yes, you know, I'm powerful. <laughs> And um, I think my parents saw that desire and enrolled me in martial arts classes um, when we moved over to Los Angeles. And when I began martial arts, it was a very hard style. We trained on the wooden floor. If you were a bad kid, or even if you were a bad adult, hands up against the wall, the instructor had a wooden stick and right in your butt several times. Um, But you can't do that nowadays. Martial arts back in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s I felt martial arts back then really disciplined children and people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's got its own thing going on and with COVID, a lot of martial arts schools are closing. But um, that initial start I think began f- because of my love for martial arts movies.
1: Nice. And I got a question for you. Just continue to that. progress. No, that's fine. Um, I th- I'm gonna ask you this of, of a couple of different um, People that you have mentioned in the past that have been really inspirational for you and and for your career. Let's talk about Jackie Chan. So there's two points, right? There's the initial young Vlad that saw Jackie Chan, saw the entertainment and just the, you know, the awe and the amazing experience. And now there's Vlad that has a retrospective view of what went into him doing that. Talk to us a little bit about what makes Jackie Chan special.
3: You know, I, I didn't realize how special Jackie Chan was until probably the 2000s when DVDs uh, were coming around and these movies were more accessible to the general public. The reason I say this is because um, up until like the late 90s, the only Jackie Chan movies you really knew about were his old school, low way movies, which weren't really good. Um, he, he introduced us to Rumble in the Bronx and who he was in the mid 90s. But the reason I say 2000s is because um, once I was able to go ahead and start attaining all these Hong Kong movies, on dvd on vhs on laserdisc i was able to go ahead and study them mm-hmm. so seeing a different kind of jackie chan that i didn't know about like i met i met jackie chan when i was a little kid meaning on on the tv you know through vhs yeah. and then that jackie chan was a lot of shapes a lot of bouncing up and down then i met jackie chan again in 1995 when i saw rumble in the bronx yeah. so there was a good 15 to 20 years of me not knowing Jackie Chan. Mm
2: -hmm. All that
3: information. So, again, once I got a DVD player and these DVDs started to slowly come out, I'm like, holy hell. Like, look at everything he's done. I didn't really know about all the prop fighting. You hear about things and it's like, oh yeah, I know Jackie Chan, I know Jackie Chan. But once you start watching movies that he's done like in the 80s, like Wheels on Meals, his Project A series, his Operation Condor series, things that people don't really know about, you're like, oh man. like. This guy put his heart and soul into everything that he did. And he was committed. And I think a lot of my craziness when I shoot comes from that, from Hong Kong cinema, Mm -hmm. because Hong Kong cinema, for example, people like Jackie Chan, they don't move on until they're happy. That's why fights like the finale fight in Drunken Master 2 took four months to make. Mm -hmm. That That movie was originally released in 1994. That was a 1994 movie. I didn't see that movie until, I'd say, 2001, 2002, when I bought a Sang VHS tape for $40. Mm-hmm. And I would watch that religiously. So for me, Jackie Chan movies are kind of like a Bible to me. It's always my go-to when I'm stuck somewhere. Like if I'm stuck in a creative, um, like if there's a creative conflict with choreography, I like to just sit down and watch old school Hong Kong movies or Hong Kong movies from the 80s because that's a good reference point. For me, the Hong Kong cinema in the eighties is like ballet to dance. Um, You know, it's the classical form of dance. And I feel like everyone always reverts to Hong Kong cinema when they need to pull from something. So again, me as a kid watching Jackie Chan, it's like, wow, this is fun. Me, um, I'd say my late teens watching Jackie Chan Wow, okay. I'm trying to learn what he's doing. And now me in my mid 30s looking at Jackie Chan's work from the past, I'm like he he he's a genius and he's brilliant. Yeah. You know, there, there there's nothing to it. He you can say he helped pave the way to a lot of the action that you see today. 100%. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it's it And the thing is, realistically, when it comes down to it, and I'm not sure if you feel the same way that I do. So I I grew up in, I had a couple of my formative years in America, but then I had a very similar upbringing, it sounds like to you, in the fact that we moved to Spain, and it's a place where um, we didn't have like a DVD player, we didn't have anything. So when we finally did get a DVD player and we could go down to the movie store, and get, you know, like VHS that my grandma would send, or DVDs that we could get from the DVD store, my breadth of knowledge and understanding of movies suddenly became amazing, because, uh, and I just dove headfirst into wanting to find out about, um, you know, martial arts, uh, especially like fantasy stuff, Um, a lot of then like Hong Kong theater and stuff like that, which came up more in my teen years, like I kind of saw what Hollywood did, and was like, wow, this is amazing, like lightsaber battles, kendo, oh, wow, you know, kind of incredible. But then as I grew up and I realized that, you know, you watch a Hollywood movie and like there's low contrast, people are pulling their punches like quite drastically, you know, and it's, you can almost see that it's false, the, the falsities in some of the action scenes. And I think what I then fell in love with as a teenager with Hong Kong cinema was the, the realness of it, the, 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 how crisp and clear every shot is. How, in some cases, if they're gonna show an impact, they're not only gonna repeat the shot twice, but they're also gonna show you a close-up of the foot hitting the dude in the chest and sending him backwards and dust pluming off of it. And it's like, that revolutionized things for me. And finding Asian cinema changed my whole life. And it actually started for me by watching Tony Jaa. Tony Jaa was my kind of like first real breach into that and then um, transitioned more over then to the Hong Kong cinema stuff. But I. Was it the same for you? Was it the, that same, like, did, did the Hong Kong cinema, like ra- ra- rawness of that catch you a bit as well?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I think uh, it's kind of interesting how you compare American action and then seeing Hong Kong cinema. It's the same thing. American action, everything is bigger. You know, our explosions are bigger. Our car stunts are bigger. Our punches are bigger. And when you watch Hong Kong cinema, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, look at this flow, look at this yeah. rhythmic flow, this movement that I've never seen before, these combinations that I've never seen before. It, 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 it's a whole uh, fresh uh, breath of air. Now, it's kind of interesting you say, Tony Job, um, I'm assuming you saw ung Bak first, right? Ong yes. Bak was, yeah, literally my first <laughs> one, yeah. Straight away. Into so it, yeah. the, the, the way I look at Hong Kong cinema, um, again, going back to studying cinema, studying Hong Kong cinema, and all the various action styles. Um, Hong Kong cinema has a very nice uh, melodic beat, nice little tone where it's like, beat, 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 boom, right? So there's a buildup, there's a buildup to this grand payoff. And I think what Ong did, and this is just my personal opinion, but what I think Ong did was, they skipped all those little beats, like, they just went for the boom, boom, boom. And to be honest, when you see someone get kicked in the face, Or punched in the face or elbowed in the head, you're like, holy shit, I haven't seen that before. So that definitely um, catches your eyes and you you can't help but look at at this new form of action. But the way I look at it, you know, um, the more you know things like education can be dangerous because you start Mm -hmm. comparing things like, um, you know, with, with the bad movement. Because I've watched so much Hong Kong cinema and Korean cinema and Japanese, cinema. and when I say cinema, it's in reference to all the action movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't always enjoy watching an action movie because I'm like, okay, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad, yeah. that was bad. Um, but again, going back to Hong Kong cinema, it's so pretty, it's so melodic, it's so rhythmic Yeah, that um, it kind of, it, 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 it inspires you. Yeah. So for me, going back to Hong Kong cinema, it, it's also, um, getting that inspiration, getting that light lit up. Because as we had touched about it um, earlier, sometimes that little light burns out. But Hong Kong cinema, I think uh, helps keep it going because sure. it's the original form, I would say, um, of martial arts film fighting. And some, 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 something with that's classical and something with so much history, you can't just forget about it, like ballet. You still see people going to the ballet pre-COVID. Same thing with Hong Kong cinema. Everyone will always go back to Hong Kong cinema to pull from, or just to watch it because of nostalgic reasons. You know, it made me feel good when I was a kid. It makes me feel good now.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things that you said that are that are really interesting. The one is about how Hong Kong cinema is is sort of confined in its in its space, and in a sort of let's say American or Hollywood cinema is a little bit more, you know, over the top, right? Um, I'm wondering if there's a relationship between the actual martial arts that were studied in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong had Wing Chun, which is a very sort of confined, um, mostly striking uh, martial art. Right. And so a lot of that Hong Kong striking stuff seems like, you know, the blocks and all kinds of, you know, Wing Chun based uh, movement. I wonder if that influenced um, the style at all. So the style was based on on realism in Hong Kong at the time. Any thoughts on that?
3: Um, well, Hong Kong cinema up until like, I'd say the late 70s, maybe early 80s, between the late 60s, early 70s, was all about shapes and when we're talking about shapes, we're talking about like old school um, yeah. uh, forms, either it's Wing Chun, yeah. or like Tiger, or you know, or and things like that. But to, to, to give the audience a general idea of um, Chinese martial arts, Lao Leung, who was a famous action director. <coughs> did My Young Auntie, uh, Lady is the Boss. He said that there are three kinds of martial arts. There's a martial art where you practice it to fight. There's a martial arts where you practice for your well-being. And then there's a movie martial arts. So, you know, realistically, Chinese martial arts, in my opinion, is for your well-being. And it's for the movies. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't know how much practicality it has and how much application it has in the real world because you don't really see it. But what's very interesting about the transition of action cinema is the realism that is brought to it nowadays. Mm. Again, going back to the 70s, we see the shapes, okay? Yeah. In 1982, Sammo Hung did a movie called Prodigal Son, which yeah. was a Wing Chun movie. And when you saw that Wing Chun, you are like, holy hell. This is awesome yeah. because it was powerful. And Sam Hung always implemented power behind his moves. Um, fast forward 20 plus years, you yeah, have Ip Man.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Ip Man, um, in my opinion, is the most realistic live action version of Wing Chun. And it displays the kind of damage it can do very well. In the first one, like when Donnie Yen's fighting the 10 karate guys, and he's like blah, 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 blah. Come on, we've never seen anything like that. We, we <laughs> haven't seen that level of intensity or realism from Wing Chun. So uh-huh. it definitely changed, it, it changed the game. Yeah, in that respect. No, Um, no so 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 martial arts from from a Chinese um, again Chinese cinema aspect. I think all the movements and the shapes have allowed them to go ahead and start creating and designing um, unique combinations rhythms. But if we go into the '80s of Hong Kong cinema, now we're in our kickboxing era, right? You see very less of this stuff, of this stuff. And you see more of like block, punch, boom. Yeah. You start seeing mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I, I I think the transition happened very well from uh, shapes and animal styles to mm-hmm. practical fighting. And then again, you, you think about it, it's like, well, we have uh, kickboxers in the States. We have martial artists in the States. Yeah. I think the reason that wasn't happening here in the United States is because, number one, there was no knowledge about Hong Kong cinema, really no one understood it and no one was really watching these movies except for a few of us like Quentin Tarantino, you guys, you know, <laughs> hey, different crowd. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the element of realism slowly began to change when the demand for realism in movies began to change. Again, this is all my opinion. And wh- wh- what do I mean by that? You have John wick, right? John wick goes and kills a hundred people in the movie. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando goes and kills a hundred people in the movie. It's the yeah. same thing. It's one guy getting revenge, killing people, but it's yeah. done in a more intellectual way, right? Of course, yeah. So, so, so now th- 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 there's proper uh, gun handling mm-hmm. and things like that. Th- th- we we are now considering how many bullets are in the gun. Yeah, you know, same yeah. thing with with choreography. Yeah, in the seventies, with all these shapes, there's a lot of movements, and I don't know if you've ever tried to block someone. Back when I was doing Tungsiro, we would do drills. We just block, block, no pads. And after you do like 10, 20, that shit hurts. It it hurts, I'm sorry. It hurts, it really, really hurts. So all these shapes that they're doing in these wide takes, I mean, barehanded, no pads really. They're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. Now, in a real life situation, if I was to fight someone that had no martial arts experience, no knowledge of martial arts, then maybe I can go ahead and apply some old school moves. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in reality, that's not gonna happen. Someone's gonna punch or kick you in the face. So we <laughs> wanted yeah. the kickboxing, right? And what happened in the 80s? In the 80s, you, see, you saw a lot of rhythm, which was great, but then you saw a lot of this bomb, bomb, bomb. Too many reactions, too many. Re- You're like, damn, dude, you can take like hundred punches in the face. And <laughs> we kinda, but we've kinda seen that with the UFC, where people yeah. do take a significant amount of punches in the face. 100%. So, so now we've entered this era where it's like if someone gets punched in the face, there's a much bigger reaction, right? Even Hong Kong cinema is doing it. Like if you watch Donnie Yen and Flashpoint, which was one of the best uh, representations of uh, mixed martial arts and ground mm-hmm. fighting, yeah, um, there's elements of realism. Donnie punches a dude, and the guys go like, uh. <laughs> you know, so so everything is slowly changing. Everything is becoming more realistic. Um, it's- so all these close quarter combat things, they, I feel like they were used to go ahead and start creating the rhythms that we saw in the 80s Hong Kong cinema. Because yeah. if you're comfortable with doing your hands any which shape way you can, you're gonna be comfortable throwing them close up and down. You know, yeah. your, your, your body has already prepared you for that. Something that I feel like American cinema has taken a while to learn, but now we're there.
0: Yeah. I've. Do you know I, I fully agree. And I think it was interesting. You mentioned that a lot of like Chinese martial arts, um, aren't super, um, you know, effective within, within an actual mark, an actual, uh, you know, street fire or whatever sanctioned fight or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I have to echo that. I, I recently went to China, not recently, we will call it like just before coronavirus hit actually, <laughs> which was, which was super lucky. Um, but i got to go to shaolin and i got to go check out like the kung fu guys and like see what's going on there and you're right a lot of it was like the more health-based stuff like don't get me wrong they're all very much in shape and they train like hard and they meditate hard and whatnot but you know um doing flips <laughs> and stuff and, and sticking a ball to your stomach and stuff isn't like it, it doesn't have much practicality so Uh, I understood that. And and something I wanted to ask you is based on like this transition into realism. I know you've worked on a a project called Brothers, um, which which was uh, which had a bit more of the it was set in like the martial arts, uh, mixed martial arts kind of thing. How do you combine? Because obviously mixed martial arts, you know, for the average person who doesn't watch martial arts, seeing two dudes, you know, doing some clench work up against the cage for people who are seasoned in watching it, understand, oh, he's digging for underhooks, you know, he's looking for head position, you know, he's so on and so forth. Um, But people who don't watch it just see two guys hugging against a cage. So how do you film and combine realism for mixed martial arts filming and then the showy like spin, like triple spin kick and make it seem like, yes, that's the kind of thing being done in UFC as well.
3: Uh, Well, what we try to do is we try to educate the public. I think it's, it's a great point that you brought up for the general audience that doesn't understand the grappling mm. aspect of it. Um, so Brothers was in the Indian movie that I got to action direct in India. And while we were prepping it over here, the second stage of prep, the director came out. Yep. Now, um, I'm used to shooting things a certain way. And at the time I was used to shoot, shooting things a certain way because of Hong Kong cinema, so Korean cinema. And when the director came over, he said, listen, our audience members, they don't know what an arm bar is. They don't know what any of this is. Yeah. So we need to educate them and show them. And the yeah. best way to do that is by going in tight, right? So if, 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 someone's, if you got someone in an arm bar, you can have the camera going across the arm all the way up to see everything that's being used and utilized in that particular moment, right? Oh, yeah, so you have, you, you have to feature these moments. Um, and it's, 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 it's my motto to all these new kids that are coming out and shooting fights. I tell them when you shoot a fight, what do you wanna see? What do you wanna see? If you're gonna be throwing hands, why do I need to see your feet? Unless there's a particular kind of style and footwork that's being done when you're throwing these hands. So back to MMA, you know, any kind of a choke or anything like that, anything that's very unique, we yeah. might need to go in tight and slow down the action and show yeah. the, the, the tension. Between mm-hmm. the two fighters, and what it means to be in a vulnerable slash non vulnerable position. Yeah, 100%. so that's the best way. W- 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 when you show something to the audience, you have to educate them as well. Yeah, I love I love what you said about
0: panning up the arm because you can also then almost it gives that whole like essence of this is being flexed in a way that is uncomfortable, especially if you then pan up to the dude's face. He's like gripping the thumb and like raising his hips for high hell, and you know. So Sorry, you, yeah, you,
1: not sure if you uh you, you saw the this last weekend's UFC, but panning up uh, Tony Ferguson's arm would have been <laughs> yeah would have yeah. been something that it was a an extreme armbar that uh, did you did you happen to see it by chance?
3: No, no, I didn't okay. get a chance. Well,
1: yeah, so uh yeah, he was he was put in a situation where literally I don't think it's an, ex- an exaggeration where Joe Rogan said I think ninety nine or maybe nine hundred ninety nine out of a hundred or a thousand. MMA fighters would have, not just people. MMA fighters would have tapped. That's the extreme, like you know, opposite position that angle of the arm was going, and so yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a really interesting perspective. And I almost feel like I would appreciate having that kind of close-up mm. um, tension, as you as you called it, on different you know whether it's a
0: choke or an armbar that type of thing. It's it's a Whoa. reason why. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll just say it's a reason why things like when Black Widow is fighting in Marvel movies and she's doing all these raps and like climbing up a dude and putting them in like a almost like flying triangle and there's not a lot of impact in it and you don't get and you're exactly right you don't get this like essence of oh she might be choking him because then she has to throw a couple of elbows or something because they're just not showing like that moment of him being like oh oh god like holy shit kind of thing and I think you're right. It, it, there's times where that is sometimes missed in, you know, for example, you know, with, with Black Widow and big Marvel movies where that kind of stuff is really missed. And it takes impact out of really technical stuff that takes like years and years and years to learn. And it's like that shit deserves as much recognition as the huge right hook that someone's going to throw that's going to clip them on the chin. You know?
1: I, I also I just wanted to circle back to one thing um, before, before we move on on this point. Um, you mentioned Ankh-Back as a yeah. pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty, pretty important part of your formative experience yeah. in, in movie watching yeah. with fights and stuff. So for us, when we saw Onkback, back we were in Spain and there was a limited selection. So we didn't have you know, the backlog of, of Jackie Chan. We had some of his more current things and stuff. But when Ankh-Back came out, it literally blew our heads off. And we watched it
0: probably. We, we'd never seen Muay Thai before, ever. We, we, I was studying karate. I was studying kempo, um, kushariko kempo karate at the time, and and we had never seen anyone throw an elbow like yeah. that ever before. And we were like, what the? fuck And not was just that? that, but
1: his, <laughs> but like the technique of just having that one extra revolution where you think he's gonna kick him with this foot, and he comes back around somehow again with the next foot. It was just that extra step for us. How was it received within the industry? Was it also was it just a build on other things? Was it just like a twist? Because for us it was pretty revolutionary, but
3: in the I, industry, I think the majority reaction would be similar to everyone's reaction, which is like, "Oh shit," you know, like it's it, it, it's it's something that people haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Now, for someone like me, I'm like, "Oh, okay, they're doing the Hong Kong cinema minus yeah. the buildup, so they're okay. just giving you the payoff, the payoff, the payoff, the payoff." But okay. um, I mean everyone was going nuts, everyone was going nuts over it. And I think the reason it also worked so well was because they were nice and wide in these shots because yeah. the foot's coming from the ground to someone's head. He's yeah. jumping, right? And you want to see that, you don't want to cut it up. Um, yeah. Kind of going back to the Black uh, Widow, to, 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 to give credit to everybody, when, when when you feel like something's missing that could have been due to any and all reasons, like there's not enough time. Um, course, yeah. They only had the double to shoot with. They didn't have the real black widow, things like that. The the other thing is kind of like going to Ang Bak, um, knowing that if, if we say that Hong Kong cinema is the classic form of martial arts, if it's our ballet, that's also a little dangerous because what happens then is people just shoot wide, shoot wide, yeah. shoot, wide shoot wide, shoot wide. Jackie Chan shot wide and Jackie Chan says, hey. If you can get everything in this frame, that is the most difficult kind of action. Nowadays, people walk, you know, with the camera, and I do that too. Like, I'll, I'll hold the camera, move around, give it some shake, give it some um We saw all this in extraction. If you use camera movements the right way, it works. You know, if you do things the right way, it works. But um, this whole perception that everything's got to be wide, I see it done often. I see it done by stunt coordinators. I can it directors, directors. They're afraid. It's like, oh we have to capture everything in this moment. So yeah. we see it all, it's like, no, 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 it, it, small, tiny little pieces. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do have something like Angbok, realistically, you have to go wide. If you're gonna yeah. show something to the audience for the first time, you wanna make sure that they see it in all its glory. Um, yeah. With uh, Black Widow jumping and spinning around people, you know, I would say, let's not punch in because it will break the momentum and the flow. Yeah. Once you go in for a tight shot, you're going into story mode. And that's something to remember for, for anyone and everyone watching and listening kids. Once you go into a tight shot, it's story mode. Even if it's a tight shot like this and I see a fist going boom, even that's action, but that's story. Yeah. Because now you're focusing on that disgusting punch going to the face with that nice, beautiful reaction, right? Cause everyone goes, Oh, so, um, yeah. Why just for everyone again out there, why isn't always the best? Sometimes you wanna cover things. Like what what I learned was as a director, you always wanna make sure that you have your tight shots. So that way the editors have something to cut to just in case, and it keeps your producers happy. Um, If if you're someone that comes in from the indie community like me, and you don't pay attention to what the people that are paying you want and Mm -hmm. how things are done and you just do things your way, I don't think you're gonna have a very long career, but also Mm -hmm. you're gonna have, a lot of people questioning your work. You want to be able to tell a story. Again, it's always going back to the beginning and watching the progress of it all. We are storytellers, even if it's action, and we want to tell smart stories. You know, not something like, oh, that's dumb. That never happened. That doesn't happen in the real fight. It doesn't, but in, in the movies, the way we design stuff is like, you take reality and you add an extra 10%, or you add an extra 20, 30, 40%. Or if you go watch Indian movies, you add an extra (laughs) 15,000%. We call that masala action. Uh, But but it's a lot of experimenting. Um, For me, I think the reason I do the job that I do is because of the amount of practice I've had. I've gone out and shot a lot of of my own projects. Um, I do a lot of previs, which is essentially a a blueprint for the work on the day on a movie or TV show. So in my head, as I'm shooting, just like Jackie and Hong and you, Mo Ping do and did, I'm editing. I'm editing, and I'm just thinking, does this make sense? Does this make sense? But it only comes because of the amount of practice I've had. You can't shoot fights for one year and expect to know everything. No. Like, I shot fights from 2003 until 2014. Is, no, 2013 is when I had my first official union job. So for 10 years, I just kept shooting stuff and working my day job, whether I worked at the grocery store or delivering food or working at Apple, I just kept filming and learning on my own. And then eventually the time came where it's like, Vlad, you got to step up and show these people, you know what you're doing. Yeah.
0: Do you know what? So I have actually three things that I want to. Got come off of that first first one is i want, want to touch on the extraction because you mentioned you know camera movement and uh and um sometimes adding a bit of shake and stuff obviously extraction was to the absolute extreme that any any cameraman is ever doing with film work and, and going to the absolute max where the dude is strapped to the front of a hood of a car and he's diving in and out and you know jumping off roofs with them and crazy shit like that um we're again like where does the balance lie in that? Because obviously, like you've said, you know, it's not always about getting the wide one and whatnot. Do you think that new style of you know, the cameraman being in there and it being gritty is something that's going to catch on? Or do you think because it's so niche and because um, it's being done that way, it can only be recreated by a few people at this point in time?
3: Um, well, the person operating the camera was the director himself, Sam yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam, Sam has been operating cameras... For quite some time whether it's uh, professional shoots like there's a footage of a uh, civil war where bucky jumps out a window and you see yeah. the cameraman flying down and it's like, hey, he's stuck that's sam harping so okay. sam has an eye for action i think the more you shoot action the better your eye is i mean the more you do something you should be getting better at it right yeah so um sam understands action and being the director he also understands what it is he wants to see mm-hmm. um shaky cameras, I think kind of began, let's if we're not talking about action, let's say um, when the office was going, cause yeah. you see that unique shaky cam, like I'm still trying to figure it out. Like the guy standing there and he's just like, okay, I'm not going to stand still. I'm not going to have it on the tripod. You know, I'm not going to move it on the dollar. I'm just going to stand still and kind of capture whatever it is I can. And it's so subtle. It feels nice. I think that it makes you feel like you're a part of the scene Mm-hmm. because of the involvement of the camera. Mm-hmm. So if done, if, if you do things right, you can repeat them for God knows how long. As an example, The Artist, which was a black and white movie, silent film with music, with um, some dialogue in the last two minutes of the movie, took home a lot of the Oscars, a black and white movie. We haven't seen a black and white film in God knows how long. So if, if this sticks around great, if it doesn't, it'll probably make its comeback. Mm-hmm. Everything's a cycle. You know, circular cycle, things come back. So um, in that respect, who knows? But if it does come back, it might come back with people that have a better understanding of how to make shaky cam work. I'm gonna tell people the secret right now. If you want to learn how to do shaky cam, watch Korean cinema. They do the best shaky cam. But what Sam did, I don't feel like that was shaky cam. That's just camera that was inside.
0: Yeah, yeah. Totally. Inside
3: worked, with the action. And, and I, I I thought it worked. I don't mind yeah. watching it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, I'm, I do that as well. You know, sometimes mm. you want to give it a good proper shake to help amplify the action. Mm. Um, it, but again, it's a, it's all a matter of knowing what it is that you're doing and operating the equipment the right way. Because you have a camera, like I can tell a camera operator this is what I want. But mm. if he's never done that action before, he's not going to understand it. I'll just give you guys an example. On Lucifer, um, season five, we have a very cool fight that will be released later. And what we had our camera operator do, because it was a one camera, um, one take. The camera operator came in and he was just walking by himself, pretending like he's holding the camera, recreating the movement of the one shot. Yeah. Then he grabbed the camera and he had the performers recreate it for him. Yeah. And I would watch the monitors just to make sure that he's doing the kind of uh, movement that I did, right? So it's yeah. a lot of, again, it's going back to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. It's not something that you can just grab a camera and go. Not everyone can. Now, yeah. if I don't know the backstory behind the rehearsals for that epic wonder from Extraction, yeah. but I feel like if you told Sam, hey, this is the action, and you just kind of went over it and you gave him a camera, you know, like capture it, he'd be able to do it. Again, yeah. because he's had enough practice. Same, yeah. same thing. It's like if, if I know that someone's going to go up in the air and drop down and I tell the camera operator, hey, they're going to fall down to the ground. Please catch it. The last thing I want to see is they're up in the air, and then I'm like, what, what the hell? The guy just yeah. fell down. There were no pads. If we knew that that was going to happen, we put a pad down. Yeah. So practice, practice, practice. Will it mm. stick around? I don't mind. But if it doesn't, it's definitely going to make a comeback. Everything makes a comeback. That's awesome. Because so I was gonna, I was gonna say, like,
0: it, it's interesting because obviously you have incredible directors, incredible stunt corners, and and all the people that run through that. You know, we talk about Quentin Tarantino, but you have got all the dudes who like run underneath him that make his movies incredible. Like, how I, I want to and It goes in, kind of in conjunction with what you just said. How easy would it be for Sam to pass those kinds of skills and the ability to have that eye onto someone else? Do you think? that your ability with, you know, like you said, obviously, cause it's practice, practice, practice. Do you think it is a transferable skill? Is it something that you can teach and easily mentor someone with? Or do you think it's something that once you've like got it, you need to just go for it yourself and just practice, practice, practice.
3: I think it's the latter. You have to go and practice, practice, practice. Um, I think mentorship is great, but you can only do so much as a mentor, um, especially with camera. Operating skills that you, that's something that you have to try and experiment because yeah. the, the rig might be 50 pounds, the rig might be 10, 15 pounds. I've shot footage with a DSLR, and now when I shoot with my red, there's a weight difference. And I'm like, okay, now I have a better understanding of what my app uh, camera operators are able to do. But going back to the mentoring, um, it's kind of like when I shoot short films. I don't know why, but when I'm around and when people come to my sets, there's some kind of a presence where everyone goes hard. Samo hung hard, like, bam, bam, bam. And you feel it. You feel the block. You feel the punch. You feel the miss. That's the whole idea. You want to feel it. You want to be in that moment. But when they go and do other projects, when they go do their own projects or they're working on another movie, TV show, video game, whatever, and I watch their performance, it is not the same thing. It's as if they can't replicate it. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain people that have uh, been filming with me for a long time. Like, for example, there's a gentleman by the name of Brennan Hoor, um, yeah. who everyone jokes is my golden child because he can do anything and everything. And I think one of the reasons is because he had training in various martial arts backgrounds. One, yeah. his dad sent him to Chattanooga to train Mushu. He's a Goju Ryu practitioner, second yeah. or third uh, degree. You know, so he's got a mixture of all these martial arts. So he's good with, um, you know, very rigid movement and very fluid like movement. Um, But he's been working with me since 2009. And, you know, like you, you don't, you don't do a Vlad shoot. You survive a Vlad shoot. That's the reality (laughs) of it. Because I push everyone so hard. Like, you know, I sometimes people mentally break down and I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm just like, you need to train. You got to be good. Just because you got it once doesn't mean anything. I need to get another take because there might be something wrong. Sometimes I go home and like fingers like this or hands like this, and I take a screenshot and I send it to the people. I'm like, "What are you doing? I hate you." You know, <laughs> um, but 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 it's like you know, shooting with me once or twice isn't gonna necessarily um, give you all that knowledge and information. Of course, yeah, of course. Shooting with me over the course of eight, nine, ten years, that might. And what I hope to do when people work with me is I don't want to tell them, hey, this is the way to do it. This is a way I want you to understand the way I think. So that way, when you and I work together, you can bring ideas and you know what ideas I like. Like going back to Brendan, Brendan will be like, this is a Vlad idea. You're going to like it. You're going to like this idea, it's a bad <laughs> idea. And he knows it. And I like that. I like that. The reason I like that is because it makes my life a little bit easier. Um, of course, yeah nowadays i choreograph less and coordinate fight coordinate more meaning i focus on the story i -hmm. focus on telling what the pages are asking for you know anyone can go ahead and design a cool fight that's cool but if it doesn't relate to the character if it doesn't relate to the story no one's going to give a shit one thing i learned was um once the objective is done in the fight scene kids once the objective is done in the fight scene nobody cares once the mission is over nobody cares so if the mission is to go ahead and get the baby once that baby is gotten no one cares about another 20 minute fight that's the reality i care because i love martial arts movies the general public doesn't care um Mm. but going back to mentoring people it's it's practice it's practice it's practice and it's working with someone Mm. um i think though for example someone like sam someone like myself if we are to go ahead and work on something that we've never done before because of the amount of practice and exposure we've had in my opinion i feel like i can look at something once and be able to go ahead and replicate it and understand how it works meaning yeah. like if i'm on the if i'm on the job for the full eight hours i'm watching and i'm studying and i tell this to everyone i you know whenever you get a job whether you're a stunt performer or you're coordinating or whatever it is learn from everyone take all the good take all the bad right yeah take all the bad so that way you don't make the same mistakes take all the good so that way you know how to slowly climb that ladder of "Quote unquote success" based on what it is, you, know, you think is success. Hundred percent.
0: I got. I got to. So I'm just thinking about yeah. a vlad shoot sounds like hell week when you we <laughs> coach basketball. It, it,
3: it is. It is. You got to prepare for.
0: you got to prepare for So, a so Tom used to be a basketball coach, and he used to do. Uh, he pre-season before his team would start the season. He did a week called Hell Week. And <laughs> part of hell week was bring your own bucket and that was, <laughs> and that was how it was labeled uh, i remember that quite clearly <laughs> from what you gonna say so. yeah
1: no I was, I was thinking um
0: yeah there's there's quite a
1: few of those <laughs> those moments in hell week that I, I i would guess um people on your crew were, would, would feel similar to but i was thinking um so like if 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 i'm picturing moments in stunt work that are really memorable to me i start being confused whether it's the stunt person, the talent or the choreography, right? So I'm thinking about Tony Jaw, Jackie Chan, Jet Li. Tell me like how much of that is these guys are phenomenal natural talents that we're just featuring and how much of it is no, 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 no. We're, we're actually bringing out that aspect of skill of experience for the audience. Just give us a flavor of that.
3: Oh, I'm thinking in my head. Why do you want me to ruin people's childhoods? Um, just so <laughs> everyone knows, and it's not a secret. Jackie Chan has been doubled, right? Sammo Hung has been doubled. All the greats have been doubled, except for you know people like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. They they had no yeah. doubles. Um, brain fart, brain freeze. Um, so right, no. Jackie J- J- Jackie Chan has a stunt team. And it's, I believe, seven generations worth of stunt team. Um, Samma Hong has a stunt team. Donnie Yen has a stunt team. Jet Li has uh, five, has three stunt doubles, maybe five. Yung Wo Ping has a stunt team. So I, I think it kind of connects to what I was saying earlier. When you start working with someone, you have an idea of how they design, how they create,
2: mm-hmm.
3: where it can get to a certain point where you don't have to take on that additional role your team can do it, and you overlook everything. The first time I went into 8711, uh, Emmanuel Manzanares, my buddy and partner, uh, invited me with him because some of the members saw a short film we did. And the way I saw everything run was people were coming up with ideas and Chastahowski, the owner of 87, was walking around and saying, make this change, make that change, do this, do that, do that. So that way his mind could be occupied with all the other things probably. The, the story aspect and anything and everything else. The presentation point, you know, once you get into this um, director mode or coordinator mode, you have a lot more work that comes along with your title. Mm. So Jackie Chan was a choreographer in his beginning um, stage of, the, of his career. You'd see him choreographing a lot and that's what he ended up doing on low Way films. He was also the martial arts choreographer and he had so much practice, so much practice, you still want to go ahead and come up with ideas, but it might be like, hey, I want something around here. I want three moves, like I'm gonna punch to the face, I want to kick to the leg, and then I want to throw. You're not coming up with the moves, but you're being a lot more specific to what it is you want, as opposed to like, uh, I want three moves and I don't know, come up with something. Because yeah. believe it or not, that happens, that happens on set mm-hmm. uh, when you have people that aren't storytellers or have no martial arts uh, background. So, um, when you watch Jackie Chan do something or any performer in that matter, the idea is for you to be entangled in that moment, right? You're, you're in that moment, you're like, holy shit, look at that, look at that, look at that. Um, for me, once I start thinking about other things like who's designed it or things like that, personally, that takes me out. But to answer the question, um, it's, it's all a collaborative effort because there's so much at play. You know, uh, Jackie might have come up, for example, if we're going to use Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan might have come up with, out out of a seven-move sequence, he might have come up with five moves. That doesn't take anything away from him. He's still the one performing it. So it's all a matter of perspective what it is that you want to do. For me, I used to want to perform until I dislocated my shoulder 25 times. And then I wanted to perform. And then I dislocated my other shoulder for the first time. I'm like, I want to continue making other people look good. So for me, I love making people look good. And as I was saying earlier, now it's not so much about the choreography aspect for me, but more about the story. And I'll make sure that my moments, my flat moments are there. So it could be the same thing when you're talking about a performer like Jackie Chan or Sam Hong. People that are known to do their own fights and their own stunts, they're, they're, they're gonna do X amount of it before they might be like, all right, you come in. You know, I'm tired. Cause um, that's the way things go. Um, the older guys, they're not—they're not as agile. They're not as physical as they used to be. Um, of course.
1: So, so they're going to need say, a break. Thinking, it, well, so, when you're saying that they're not as agile, not as uh, young as they used to be, that Stephen Segal comes to mind immediately, and, <laughs> and and just how the range of motion from uh, from his younger days, which wasn't exceptional in the first place has then gone to sort of this and this and this, and just like little throws here and there. <laughs> he's almost, he's almost <laughs> turned into a matador.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it's different. And it, it, it all depends on how well you take care of yourself. Like like you look at Jackie Chan in the 60s and you're like, damn, look yeah. at that 60-year-old. And Donnie Yen is kind of like redefining what a 50-year-old performer can and can't do. Yeah. Donnie Yen always looks good. Um, yeah. So, so, so yeah, when, when you see these performers, um, I, for for me it's just about the moment if it's a cool stunt i'm like wow i respect that stunt yep. but nowadays you'll have more performers trying to do their own stunts like tom cruise doing yeah. a bunch of crazy stuff you know <laughs> uh keanu keanu reeves doing the majority yeah. of john wick you, you you have more people that want to go ahead and do it but then go into the choreography aspect they're not really choreographing yeah. some people want to feel like the superhero they want to be the superhero yeah. They don't want to go ahead and put in all the ingredients that make the superhero. Like, they're not the camera operator. They're not the editor. They're not the choreographer. There are a lot of elements that come into play that make a scene. A lot. A lot of people, you know, make it happen. Jackie Chan's stunt team. You, you got 10, 20 guys walking around setting up lights, setting up the rigs, you know, things like that. It, it's a whole collaborative effort. But for me, it doesn't take anything away knowing that, okay, you know what, Jackie Chan did really choreograph this scene, you know, Joe Schmo did. I don't care. As long as it looks right, and as long as I'm entertained and it tells a story that I'm hoping that it tells, yeah, I'm good. It's,
0: it's the classic, like, delegate and make sure that the team that you're delegating to is one that you trust and that you work well with, you know, and that you can, you know, bounce your creative ideas off, but also um, as someone who may be at the top end of the you, you know the hierarchy within it whether it be the coordinator the director whatever um, to be able to receive those ideas from people like you said you know that you trust and that you've worked with for a long time and go you know what, well, I'm, I'm open to hearing that kind of stuff um, but also you know within delegation it's knowing when to step
1: in right knowing exactly. what to delegate what they can handle what they can't handle when it's time for me to actually step in and do my thing as well. And that that balance, I think, is what you're talking about. A hundred percent, hundred
3: percent. If I can interject to just kind of help out people that are coming into the industry, um, what I usually do is if I'm working with people that I've never worked before, especially in my beginning stages of the career, I keep my mouth shut. I keep Mm. my mouth shut. Even though people might be like, oh, why don't you pitch this idea or that idea? I keep my mouth shut and I observe to see um, how and what the language is, what the tone is. Who's Mm -hmm. talking? And the person that's talking, what is their position? You know, how are people respecting the coordinator? Because if the coordinator is giving free range to talk amongst everyone, then go ahead and chime in. But until then, find out, like you're saying, how things are being delegated. Yeah. And with me nowadays, I tell people, I'm like, you can throw an idea. Just because it might not be usable at the moment doesn't mean it's a bad idea. So what I try to teach people is, Give me an idea and I'll figure out where to put it in the context of the story. Yeah. I think that's good delegating instead of saying that's a shit idea. That's a bad idea. You know, sometimes I would be like, eh, I'm not sure, but we'll see. And mm. I keep that idea in the back of my head or I might tell them, hey, that's a good idea. But bring it up when we get to this section of the fight. Yeah. So that way people know how to use their ideas instead of just throwing ideas out. Mm. Going, going, going back to choreography, right, and making sure things work nowadays what you'll see is you'll see a lot of choreographers come up with ideas for choreography to be displayed on the screen mm. and that that's bad because number one they might be choreographing for themselves right yeah. they're not choreographed, for example like i'm the choreograph this awesome amazing kick for lucifer well it's like wait a second lucifer hasn't really been throwing awesome amazing kicks what are you doing right yeah it has to be within the context of, of what it is that you're right designing um, so that's very important to keep in mind for choreographers. Mm. Don't come yeah. up with a bunch of nonsense just for the sake of it being cool. Yeah. Granted, Jackie Chan, Hong Kong cinema is kind of known to do that because of its long rhythmic beats. Mm. But nonetheless, they all stay true to the characters that they've defined and created in the movie. Yeah. Don't start yeah. coming up with outlandish moves. Just because we haven't seen someone jump and spin 50 times a year and throw a kick doesn't mean this is necessarily the best spot, you know? Yeah. So it, 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 it all comes back to, to play, like mentoring, mentoring people the right way, not yeah. putting them down. Like, that's a shit idea. Don't tell me this again. It's like, hey, yeah. that's not a bad idea. Let's see where we can put this in there, right? And, and, it, it, it's, it, it's For me, leading isn't about putting people down. It's about bringing people up. And teaching them how to work with other people.
0: Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, and I, I, I fully agree. I think you know there's there's big air to to getting influence from the people that are under you because typically as well you find out when you're being an asshole as well, and and, and that's that's also refreshing and allows you to reflect on your own performance and and bring the best of you to the situation, whether it be um, you know choreographing what, what whatever any situation where you're managing other people. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's where you you have to make sure that you're allowing conversation and 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 influence from many different areas.
1: And also those those ideas from the, the other people. Sometimes, if you really allow someone to be free and allow them to not feel like they're going to be judged or they're going to be dismissed, they will surprise you with how creative their ideas are. Right? You've not 100%. it's not just your brain; it's all those other brains working on solving a problem, which is.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, like you said as well, you said, uh, and I, I know I've done this. So I, I worked as a manager in a, in a call center for a, a period of time. And I had a team of like 30 people. And I know I've had one of my callers be like, here's an idea. And in early days when I was ignorant and a bit younger, um, I'd be like, I got this. Don't you worry. You, you just You just do your thing. I'll do my thing. And then later when I run out of ideas and I use their idea, I look like a real asshole, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and it, it, it's, it's that kind of thing where you have to be open to that kind of stuff. I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously the process that you're doing making films in terms of, um, you know, you've got this whole set and this crew and all of this kind of stuff and a bunch of people doing that. Um, how does that then transfer to when you're doing motion capture stuff? Because I know you've done a lot with like Telltale Games and stuff like that. How are you finding also the creativity um, difference in that? Because it's in some case, obviously, you're still confined to characters. You know, if you're doing Batman, he's a very specific style where Joker might be a lot more wild, might be using objects where Batman is using his utilities, using his like straight style of like straight kicks and flourishes and weirdness. Um, do you find that with motion cap, you get more creativity because it's not specifically in the moment, it can be rejigged, you know, in the, in the final kind of area, um, or do you find it inhibitive?
3: Motion capture, I feel gives you freedom in the sense of post-production, meaning like you don't need, you don't need to make contact with someone, but in post you see that punch to the face and it looks beautiful, right? You don't have to go at a super fast pace. You can Mm -hmm. slow it down. Like when I have performers go, I'm like, I'm, well, I need you to go 100%, 150%. Mm. Motion capture, you can slow it down yeah. because it still gets animated and it can get sped up. Um, mm-hmm. When we were doing Telltale, actually, we weren't using motion capture suits. What Telltale did, uh, we created a previous for them and they, they they animated the entire thing. Oh, wow. Which was wonderful. Yeah. That's so sweet. So going into motion capture, you don't have to worry about camera angles. There's a lot of things you don't have to worry about, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, All yeah, right. You yeah. Which makes things easier. Also, the bigger stunts, we have pads, we have nice cushion, uh, you know, boxes, mats, everything's nice and comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, on the set, there isn't like you're gonna go to the ground, pad up. You know, yeah. you don't really need to pad up when you're doing motion capture. Um, there's still a sense of danger. You could still hit something wrong. You still accidentally punch someone but it's not like um, a real set with a real environment. Yeah. Uh, Now with uh, Telltale, designing those fights was interesting because we were also, for the most part, dictating camera angles. Um, The director was super cool to work with. Uh, The only thing is we would get very vague instructions. Like, you know, when you're working on the movie or in the TV show, you get a script yeah you get a script with all the dialogue what's gonna happen you're like cool now i know how to design this um manny and i were doing telltale for both seasons so we would have our conversation with the director and then we would get notes and that's it so we had no idea what was happening in the story um so when we went ahead and uh, presented our final product it was what the director wanted and what he liked he was gonna go ahead and use. Um, yeah. So what, for example, like we would do a fight, 65% of the content that we created was used. We do another fight, 10% of the content was used. Yeah. do another fight, 90% of the content was used. So um, that, that was a lot of fun to do the telltale stuff, but it was also challenging because we didn't have a script in front of us. We were assuming and second guessing what all these beats would be like, hey, and we would have a conversation with our Batman character, Joker, anyone that was there like, let's talk about this. So the mm-hmm. general rule of thumb is we come in, we, we, we do a quick little breakdown. We try to give everyone a description of what the scene is and then what it is that we want to do and what we want to try to accomplish by the end of the day. In mm-hmm. um, the motion capture setting, again, it's a lot simpler. I've had minimal motion capture because mm-hmm. Telltale was like, just shoot us the previous. And our right. animators will do the rest of the work, which That's I think right. is great. Which I think is yeah. great. But then again, now you're camera operating. Now you're doing take after take after take after take to of make course. sure that it looks right. Because yeah. when we're shooting a previs, my previses, Manny's previses, a lot of other previses, we need that intensity to tell the story. If you're going to shoot course. a previs, if you're going to present the, if you're going to present the pro- product, and it's like, you know, a punch is like that versus a punch, you know, intensity. People are gonna buy this over that, yeah. any and every day. 100%. Um, no, I'm sure so you do That's d- 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 different aspects there. to everything.
0: Yeah, of course. And you know, I, I think there's so many layers to it all and, and, and so much going on, I think. Um, and you're, you're in a whole different world to just a stunt man who's worrying in some cases about, you know, is my technique looking good? um am i landing correctly am i you know throwing this right is it looking good on camera like you said you've got a thousand other things going on which is why you're delegating i I actually wanted to mention because you said there you know the difference between uh mocap and real is uh you get a lot more pads and all this kind of stuff do you feel like your stunt guys are injuring themselves more during combat or when they're taking falls or like
3: smashing through things Hey, you know what, stunts is such a funny thing. Um, hmm. I told you I dislocated my left shoulder for the first time. Yeah. That was last year, 2019. Um, and I was just working out a gag and I just had to take a reaction fall on my hands and knees. Yeah. I right, just practicing and then next thing you know, my hand hits the ground, slides off and my shoulders all the way out here. Oh, oh. Now, it's, it, it, it's nonsense, right? People yeah. have been punched in the face, you know. And the actor, there's a stunt coordinator by the name of Mark Norby who was uh, stabbed with a real sword by Russell Crowe, bloody, um, really? um, um, <laughs> on, on the Commander movie. Yes, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so anything and everything can happen. Like I was telling you guys earlier, um, we were talking about my buddy Gee and on the Winter Soldier, if he didn't have a pad on, the wire would have taken off a of limb. Wow. You know. So it could be anything. Um, I've had buddies that have done the fall, three, two, one, action, and then you hear, like you hear the hard clunk, because their head made contact with the floor, they forgot to tuck. Yeah. 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 So I've had someone get thrown onto a mat, not me personally, I mean, I know someone that got thrown onto a mat while training, and because she didn't fall the right way, she dislocated her shoulder. Yeah. Anything you do in stunts is a risk. Anything yeah, and yeah. everything you do in stunts is a risk. Um, of course, there are certain things that are a lot more dangerous than others. Mm. You know, like like car gags and, you know, things like yeah. that, when you're going to have to <coughs> barrel roll. Of course, Flip yeah. the car over, you know, like, it's like, okay, hey, by the way, this is your daily rate, and also you're going to get an adjustment of an extra $2,500 for this gag because you're doing the specific gag, you know? Yeah. So, so so there are levels of intensity. There's a young lady by the name of Mickey Faccinello, who I work with, Mm-hmm. for a while that's now like the most in-demand stunt woman out there uh she won a taurus award um for a high stunt gag where she and Antal colic uh were up 1200 feet hanging onto a helicopter for the movie jupiter's legacy yeah 1200 feet up in the air Ridiculous. i'll be like i would stand here so for me the some people are interesting human beings yeah. because um that adrenaline can come from anywhere And just because you're a stuntman doesn't mean you like doing what all the other stunt guys do. There there are stunt guys that are just drivers they can't fight, they can't fall. But they're amazing drivers. They're amazing high fall guys. For me, there are particular falls I like. But if you ask me what it is I'll do, I'll be like, I will stay right here in front of the camera, eyes wide open. Punch, kick me in the face, 5,000 frames per second. I don't care. I will not blink. You know, I'm a big boy, so I like taking hits. Mm. I like making people look good. I mm. like getting my ass beaten. Whereas other people would be like, I want to be a hero. I want to be the guy at the bike, you know. But again, anything and everything has a risk. Going back to the camera operator that was trying to replicate my camera movement, mm. right? I was talking about that on Lucifer. Um, right. On the best take, which was the last take, halfway through, he falls and twists his leg. Mm. Yeah. So even the, so, so you know what I'm saying? Even the camera operator, once movement is involved, once movement and action join forces, there are a lot of risks involved. Yeah. And it's just, it's super duper important to, to go over anything and everything that it's, you can, not that's why. Yeah,
0: it's so true and I, like, so I, I'm, I'm a skateboarder and uh, my one major, major injury that I've had, which is I broke my wrist in three places I like everyone always asks, and especially when I had my cast on, and everyone everyone was like, "Oh, you, I assume you were skating, buddy. Like, what were you doing, man? Like five star. Like, what were you jumping down?" I'm like, I literally tried to power slide and slow myself down, and caught a crack, and then fell backwards, put my hand out, and just snapped everything. And like, I'm like, it was the most lame, ridiculous break of my entire life. And like you said. It comes down to uh, again. I'm doing things in my skateboard career now that I should I should be hurting myself doing, you know. And and then something as silly as just a little revert, and I I bust my wrist completely open. Was like that's effing ridiculous. You, you also, you, no,
1: you see it in, in, in sports on TV a lot as well. The the Achilles injury mm. is is crazy. You got you know you got basketball players and yeah. acl as well acls as well with that for years they're doing you know outrageous you know whatever elevation off of one foot spins whatever pump fakes and then they just take an innocuous you know sort of jab step and there it goes and that's you know <laughs> a severe snap of your achilles it's 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 kind of mind-boggling how i guess it in my mind like the image i picture is it's like uh a thread that's fraying slowly, 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 and it's down to that last little bit, I guess, maybe, that that little movement makes it pop. Because there's no other, like, I, I, I can't make sense of it any other way. But I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, you mentioned choreography. And I'm wondering what your, you know, what your appreciation is for, you call them the oners, these these like extended one shots. And the one that comes to mind for me that I saw was called um, it, it, the, the fight scene in The Protector that goes up a, a, a bunch of different floors. And it how long does it go on? 12 minutes or something like that?
0: Yeah, it's like <laughs> between 5 and 12 minutes. Or something
1: yeah, yeah. Like it's outrageous. Um, I know, I'm not sure if it's a one or completely. There, I think there are some, some moments. But there's some extended shots that I think you could probably um, not really find any cutaways for. Mm you know going through door frames it seems like those could be cutaways and, and new shots but um, what's your interest in in these extended it's almost like you're challenging uh, can i actually pull this off for like six or seven yes. minutes is, it, is that what it's
3: like that well, um yes and no um go, going back to the protector wonder it was about five minutes uh, mm. and it was a true oneer true Warner. Amazing. no no cutting or anything like that um the thing with winners. For me personally, what's the story being told? Are we doing it just for a cool factor? Yeah. Are, you know like what, What's the purpose and how are we gonna display it? Me personally, I get a lot of hate for this. I was not a fan of the Protector Warner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I'll go into that. Why? Um, what I really enjoyed was the old boy Warner from the Korean, movie, not the American mm-hmm. version, the Korean version. I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to see that. No, it was a wonder in the hallway that involved 13 people the actor, and I believe the 12 um stunt performers that were acting as well. Yeah, for me, that was a true wonder. The reason for me that was a true wonder is because you had all the characters involved in the scene. Yeah, everyone is doing something. If you're hurt, you got to play hurt, if you're gonna crawl, you got to crawl. And now going back to Protected, the reason I didn't like that one so much, it was cool, definitely cool. But it's like, you get a guy, guy disappears. You get a guy, guy disappears. You get a That's guy. Totally now, I'm kind of guilty of doing that on the project that I'm working on right now, right? Mm. Um, but I try to make it as fun as I can. Uh, yeah. When we're talking about a one for example, like the one that was an extraction or Atomic Blonde, yeah. that was fun because there's that element of realism, right? Um, Charlize Theron kicking ass, I buy it. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth and Randeep Huda, Derek characters, I buy them. Whatever it is that they're doing, I buy them. The the directing is there, the action directing is there. Um, And there are also different environments that we go through. Mm -hmm. It's not the same place, which I thought was really fun and it helped the Wonders. Mm -hmm. Now going back to The Protector again, you know, like all the moves weren't, if I'm going to guy number 50, guy number one gets a number like bah, right? Guy number one gets a number like bah, but guy number 50 gets a number like, I don't buy that that guy's out.
2: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? True. I don't buy yeah. that that guy's
3: out. But an old boy, right? I love this. I love acting stuff out. An old boy, the guy's like, ah. everyone's like this on the ground. Everyone's swinging tired. Looking at each other, yelling, you know, cursing in Korean, all this and that. But they're all tired. And I buy that. I buy into the story that's being told about this guy for two and a half minutes taking on this gang in the hotel room that he's trying to get out of. Yeah. Right? He went in, now he's trying to get out. I buy that because you feel the person getting tired. With Tony Jaa, you feel Tony Jaa getting tired. I don't feel the environment getting tired around him. And that's why I kind of don't buy it because these guys, they'd be like, nah, hit me again. You're tired. Hit me again. You know, you don't, it's just natural that you're not going to have, you're not, you're not going to exert the same amount of energy you would. You won't have the same kind of force you would that you had five minutes before you started this epic journey. Yeah. And
0: you're, you're, you're not wrong, dude. I think, um, I think your point of there needs to be one almost like plot. I think also you, I I've never actually thought about the whole like uh, I guess I'll paraphrase it as like the ensemble oneer versus the like in and out oneer um, of like people going into the scene and out of the scene again and it, it it's definitely a lot more interesting. I'll, I'll reference another oneer that that that's uh, a kind of a mishmash of the two kind of styles is the one in in I believe it's the first or second episode of Daredevil um where he's like in a hallway and he's going in and out of rooms but then dudes are and him getting tired is very much a factor in it he's like flumping around and he's like bashing people over and like falling around it almost like gets a bit drunken monkey-esque like kind of a a later point in it but i like for me I, i agree there was something about that one that i came away being like god that guy got beat the shit out of but also he beat the shit out of those dudes and that's awesome like I, I do totally get what you mean there's not many moments in like on back and things like that where you're like wow Tony Ja is struggling right now that he's up against someone who um, you know is, is putting him like in a place of difficulty um, unless it's a very stage one that happens like midway through but I think that's again something that I like about some of the action scenes of John Wick as well is that it feels like there's moments where he's taking hits. You know, that, that's one of the classic reasons why, again, everyone loves Jackie Chan's action comedy is because Jackie takes a hit and is like, ah, you know, like what the fuck, you know, kind of thing. And it gives that sense of, like you said, not only story, but I think for me, I would almost classify it less a story, more of movement, not as in movement within a scene, but movement of the plot that we are currently watching um, in that moment.
1: Yeah. yeah and i think to build on also build on what you were saying Vlad is I, I just realized for the first time watching that scene in the protector it wasn't about story at all like i had come out of the story it's about was, him being a badass i was just admiring the stunt work like, yeah. i was admiring that water you know as a water I, so i i you know i removed myself from the story completely and looked at that as like an achievement in filmmaking which took me out of the story completely so that's what you're talking about basically and if if that's the intent, and sometimes that is the intent, right? We just want to blow people's heads on doing something that they are, you know, it doesn't have much to do with the story, but it's fucking amazing as far as Star Wars, like
0: like nineteen, well nineteen seventeen does yeah. the oneer all the way through. Now the oneer isn't really part of the plot, but it is done in that way that you're saying where they're they're like we're adding this in and it's going to be part of the style of it, but yeah. it's it's not the the plot. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. Like I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and exactly, and so, um,
1: but I think, uh, to your point, the genius of it is if you can weave it in, right, seamlessly, like I'm thinking, this is outside of stunt work, but I'm thinking about the first scene in, um, in Boogie Nights, the first, you know, I don't know, however, it was five or six minutes, where it brings, you know, roller girl in, and he's walking through this, you know, and it's through the front of the restaurant, and the back of the restaurant, and it works, it's not, it is a wonner but it complements, it builds, it shows the story in a, in a really nice way. So I think that's to your, to your point for sure.
3: It, again, it's just using your tools to help uh, tell your story, not yeah. using your tools to be like, look at how cool my tools are, you know? If we would have just seen Tony John there a few times, just like, <sighs> and then he sees the guys and he's like, all right, let's go again. Yeah. And I didn't get that. I didn't get that. When you guys get a chance, definitely watch The Korean Old Boy as a movie. But, you know, yeah. on YouTube, they have that hallway fight. And you'd be like, holy shit, like, this guy's getting his ass kicked. Everyone's getting their ass kicked. Everyone's acting like I buy the scene. I yeah. buy the scene. And um, kind of jumping all over the place. That's what I feel helped enhance the action world is Korean cinema. Because mm-hmm. for a very short period of time, when I say short, maybe five, 10 years max. Korea was putting out amazing, amazing content. They know how to do um, shaky cam the right way, yeah. right? And they were telling story behind their action. Yeah. And when, what, if, if, if you're an amazing action storyteller and then you can actually tell story, you know, like not just design the fight but tell a story behind it. I think that's a winning combi- combination formula for success. Same thing. We're like wonders. If you know how to use the tools and tell the story the right way, it's it's a very powerful, uh, you know, thing. Not just be like yes.
0: It's totally true. Tony Jaws walking around
3: for five minutes.
0: (laughs) It's it's totally true. And you know, like you said, uh, I want to say one. Are you happy? Obviously that the the Korean director um, of Parasite won like the main Oscar. Was was that something that you're pretty stoked about that now some Korean directors are starting to break into Hollywood a little bit and cause some fucking I, chaos
3: there? Honestly, I I think it's a great thing to get recognition all, all over the world. Cin- yeah. Cinema, I don't know how it happened, but it's like, you know, with America being America, not to get into politics, but the American way is like, I'm in America, this is mine. This is mine, this is mine. You're mine, she's mine everything is mine that guy's house that's mine you know so <laughs> <laughs> i feel i feel like that's that, that that's what kind of happens in in the movie industry as well you know yeah. for, from the american acts aspect um yes sorry i just had no, one no. of those other brain freezes that i get <laughs> what, what was the original question one more time
0: no no Do no I no think, I, I, I was just asking whether you were, whether you were happy that Homie has broken into like the, the Oscars and, and claims. Yes, 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 yes. Okay.
3: Correct. Correct. So, so, so going back into the things that this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Imagination is universal, right? Everyone has an imagination. Everyone has a story to tell, to, to limit um, the Oscars just because it's an American thing, just because the biggest, baddest movies come out from America. I think, I think that's bad. We, we, we wanna open up um, that knowledge of information or the information of knowledge, I should say, right? And we can't do that by restricting ourselves to a certain form of storytelling. Why are Korean movies so good when it comes to drama? Because Korean people are very dramatic, to be honest. And so, 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 so some of the best drama I've seen, so some of the best love stories I've seen came out of Korean cinema. Because yeah. they're told a different way, you know. Every culture has their own way of doing things, of saying things, of presenting things. So, yeah. seeing a different culture, a different group of people win an award like that, I mean, that's wonderful. It's kind of like uh, uh, it's a beautiful life when um, I forgot his name, but we all know that little Italian gentleman
2: yeah, when yeah, he oh, won
3: yeah. when when he when he also won an Oscar not just for for best foreign movie, but uh an oscar for the movie itself here you know Mm. like i think it's cool to get recognition but to be like best foreign film well it's like ah you know there's a lot of good stuff that's way better than what america is you know giving audiences right now and i think it's great to recognize someone from a different country because it can open up uh, you know people's uh thought process and you know start thinking well, let me let, let me venture out into korean cinema let's see what they have there let me venture out into this cinema and that's and that's and you you just find out that there's so much that you don't know and if you're an avid you know uh, cinema buff or anything like that then opening up those doors to endless possibilities of other cinemas i think i think that's a beautiful thing i wish i can have that in the action world but i can't i've seen all the jackie chan movies i've seen all the sam hong movies i've seen all the gong movies I've seen the European movies. I've seen the shot with this stuff, you know, <laughs> there's still content that comes out that I'm like, oh man, I haven't seen this, but I'm all like, I envy this new generation because there's a bunch of stuff that they don't know yeah. about that's out there for them. Yeah. And I'm the guy that's all like, I need more. I want new. So will mm-hmm. make something good. Stop making shit. Everything is crap. Everything is shit. I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I can see myself as an old man. It's garbage. It's garbage. It's garbage. Which is yeah. what I hear. Sam hunk kind of has become, you know, He's very opinionated about Hong Kong cinema and the way things are done. I feel like I'm kind of slowly venturing in that direction. But yes, going back to the original question, I think it's wonderful that a filmmaker that's not from the United States won an Oscar because it opens up doors and it yeah. lets people know that anything is possible. hundred
0: percent. And I think, you know, um, the amount that you can do and, and, and that you can experience from other cultures. And, you know, you, you talk about uh, traveling with film and whatnot. But, you know, it's something that I, I, I've said for a long time. And I've, I've tried to travel as much as possible as a young man uh, when, I, when I was old enough to kind of dip off and do my own thing. And cure uh, traveling is the cure for ignorance. You learn so much about yourself and other people and what's missing in your life when you go to other places and you know it, it, in if we put this into the movie context you find so much things that you're missing within our cinema uh, that exist in other places and you know for example um recently on netflix uh the tv show snowpiercer came out and actually the guy who made parasite was the original director of the movie snowpiercer actually it had chris evans in it and you why know, and that kind of thing and um but the amazing part of that whole movie, when I watched it after finding out the the guy from Parasite had directed it, was that the Korean the Korean character in it and his like daughter slash like I don't know female companion were like the the main moving force of it, and it was this beautiful told story that was amazing and so much better than the fucking TV show that I'm currently watching on Netflix, and. The, like so much, again, just the dark, the the contrast of it, the the color choices that were made, like even things from like, everything is rustic and metal. So then all the lights are like luminescent oranges and things that really contrast. So then you get this beautiful kind of lighting and whatnot. And I think, man, when when you get the opportunity to see someone else's influence, especially someone who is not of your culture and even better if they don't speak your language you get to experience what they're giving you in a way that you will never be able to get somewhere that you are comfortable in, in whatever ecosystem or bubble you kind of want to call it. Um, You can only get that when you venture outwards. And that's why when uh, uh, American people watch Bollywood movies, they're like, oh, what is this? And you're like, it's amazing is what it is, is they're doing visual effects right, (laughs) is they're doing visual effects to the crazy extent with no budget, like what? So I, I I think you're you're totally right. It, it, we need to open the doors up to more more of the Western world being made culturally aware of what else is available to them. And I think your point of uh, of the Oscars doing that and not making it the best foreign film, which is a fucking bullshit title, um, that sucks <laughs> and is, is is absolutely crap. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the, the best we, film we, that's
0: not our it's, film. It's like going, Oh, you're the best female. Like I heard someone the other say other day say that Amanda Nunez is the quote greatest woman of all time. I was like, dude, she's the goat. She will fuck anyone up. Who cares whether <laughs> she's a woman or not? What does that have anything to do with it? Like
1: Yeah. You know. And I th- I think to your point as well about um opening up to other cultures, like currently just with technology, it has democratized filmmaking, so that a little dude, wherever, or, uh, you know, a pack of um, teenagers in this other place that's remote, all they need is a phone these days, right? Mm -hmm. And they can actually produce something. And so this whole like, concept of creativity, for different reasons, some people are just being creative, because they literally do not have budget, like nothing. So they're putting together different aspects of cheap ways to make things super creative that build into the story. But there's also, you know, other aspects of creativity where people are just like, you know what? It's never been done this way before. Or this has never been done in film before. I'm gonna fuck with timeline. Or I'm gonna fuck with angle. I'm gonna fuck with lighting. You know, why? Why not? Let's give it a try. Bodie's just gonna change the battery here. So we're gonna go dark here for a second. No problem. We'll come back. You'll you'll hear me. Um, but wow. yeah, that that element of, and I, I'm, I'm sure that part of Hollywood is a little bit scared of that. Like they like to have things, you know, in their own little formulaic way where they know it's tried and tested. You know, you know, a Marvel type film with Marvel type action and Marvel type lighting and budget and, and all of that is going to do a certain thing. Someone else comes and like rocks the boat in a way that they don't quite understand um, that gains some sort of interest by people that can be a little bit disconcerting for the bigger players and not knowing exactly how to handle that i'm sure they just say well we'll just either we'll just take that and put it into our formula or we'll just buy you and bring you in and you can do it <laughs> under our label well, and
3: you can- well yeah it, 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 it's a break in the flow but it's also about you know um people kind of just in general being afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to extraction, you hear the interview that Sam had with Scott Atkins. Um, Sam was uh, telling Scott that, hey, they weren't sure about this one You know, mm-hmm. well, like, yeah. this is not something that Hollywood's like, yes, yeah, Sam, go ahead, we, we we trust you. They're like, oh, we don't know. You know, so you, there's a lot of convincing, there's a lot of reassurance that has to be done on your end. There's a lot of confidence, and you have to know what the hell you're talking about. Um, yeah. You know, uh, introducing new elements Working on Lucifer, I'd, I'd present a couple of camera angles that veteran directors and DPs have never seen, mm. right? Because I, I, I combine creativity plus practicality, you know, and, and I just think about doing things in unusual ways without having to spend the money or the technology on that. Yeah, And if you present it in the right way, people will watch and listen, right? So if I'm presenting a unique kind of a camera trick and action, if it's clear and visible, right, then in my case, the director was like, I I'll, wanna I'll know how you did this, I wanna replicate this, right? In my shorts, um, I do something called the Vlad Cam, where you see the punch, and, whoo, it slows down, and the next one, boom, and then it slows down. And usually what people do is they shoot with, what, like a 300, 400, 500, 600 frame per second camera. Yeah. And they slow motion it at the right spot. I've yeah. learned to be able to do that with a 60 frames per second camera. Oh, shit. So, oh, so I've tricked cool. people. And people, have, people ask me, what frame rate did you shoot it on? I said, 60. They're like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, it's 60. They're like, how did you slow it down? I'm like, ah, that's a secret. <laughs> yeah, that's my secret. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so, 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 for so, me to know. <laughs> for me to know, for me to know, and you to try to replicate. Um, so, but again, it comes with practice. And it comes with confidence. Because if you go and you introduce an idea to someone, you know, like maybe the Marvel people like and you know, I'm thinking, what if we tried this? Um, I kind of have an idea, this is what we shot. They're, already they're like, no way. Be like, I want to try this, take a look. You know, the, the, the number one, your mannerism, your, 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 your tone, your, your yeah. presence is completely different when you're presenting something that you're comfortable in, um, that element of comfort. But for the most part, um, yeah, Hollywood likes to do things that are pretty safe. As long mm-hmm. as it's, if you wanna try something new, as long as it's not time consuming, time is money, you know, yeah. as long as it doesn't add the cost of the budget, then you can go ahead and give it a try it. Also, if you're a second unit director, you're gonna have a little bit more power um, yeah. than that, as opposed to just being a fight coordinator or stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in a sense that um, when I present my previses everyone is on board. Uh, we'll, we'll try to replicate it the best that we can. There's always a camera that's doing one of the same shots from the previous um, yeah. and the other camera, B camera is doing whatever it needs to do. So that way we're safe and it's like, hey, you guys enjoy the previous, right? So let's not, why not replicate it? And I've had post-production producers come up to me while we're filming and just tell me, why aren't we just shooting the previous? I'm Like, well, you know, listen, what can I do? People want to do things their own way. I if I'm not the one running the show, I can't dictate how things go. I know where my place is and I respect that. But going back to you know foreign films and giving people a title, in the stunt industry, everywhere else in the world, you have the title that is known as an action director, mm-hmm. which, is very, which is a very significant role, right? Mm-hmm. Jackie Chan's an action director, Sam Mahoney will Ping, all these guys. In India, you have action directors, right? You have action directors, action directors overseas. Mm -hmm. In in China and Japan, you have an action director. What do you have in the United States? You have a second unit director. You have a Mm -hmm. stunt coordinator who might be the second unit director, or in my case, a fight coordinator. That's a second unit director. Um, So so it's almost as if we've said, we're not going to do what the rest of the world is doing. We're going to do it our own way. Kind of like, oh, the rest of the world uh, deals in the metric system. Right? We're like in meters, we're going to use feet and inches. Eff it, we're going to use feet and inches. Um, you know, so, so I think, I think the second, a second unit director is essentially an action director in the States, but they also do all the pickup work. Like, oh, we need an outside shot. Oh, we need this, we need that. Yeah. People don't realize how important an action director is. Mm-hmm. And I've come to realize that working on Lucifer because directors Become comfortable and knowledgeable with words and dialogue and emotions. They don't go out and shoot action. Yeah. God knows how often they're watching action movies. So for me, to run up to someone on stage like one of the performers and be like, "Listen, when you when you walk out, you can't just you can't just walk out. You need to almost like jolt out. There needs to be a move. There needs to be an expression, right? If you're for example, if you're looking, right? If if you're looking at the next person, you're fighting someone, right? And then someone's over there, you have to give that sharp head movement so the audience understands, oh, he's looking at someone else. Because if I'm going pop, and then I go, the fuck was that?
2: Like what is that?
3: <laughs> are you looking at someone? Are you happy? Believe it or not, that happens a lot of times on set because yeah. the actors are not familiar with the action. You know, um, the director might not be familiar with the action, so all these little things, like yeah. that, need to get fine-tuned, right? That, in my opinion, is the role of the action director, which is a second unit director, right? And okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a director and an action director work together at the same time, mm. because it works. You know, put all egos aside; everyone should know what it is they're doing. And in India, the, the action director role is so well respected that the action directors run the show. Wow! The director mm. will sit down. The action director will say what the next bit of action is, where the camera angles are to be set up, and in some cases, you know, um, we'll even get to edit some of the footage. But that's yeah. something that you can talk to production here as a second unit director. You can try to get uh, the footage to do a first pass. But yeah. the yeah. thing is, it's it's just like there's so much involved. The, 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 there's so many stages and ladders to go through. That's why I love the indie world. You know, like, oh, I'm not happy with the way this thing came out. I'm not happy with this fight. I'm not happy with this action scene. Cool. I'm going to go shoot my own stuff. Yeah. You know what All I'm right. saying? It, it, it's, it, people have to understand, and I always repeat it to the kids, if you want to get paid for what you love to do, you got to do it for the people. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you got to make art for others before you can invest in yourself or do what it is you really want to do because you need to make that money.
1: Yeah. Let's, uh, on that note... Let's show a little bit of what you've done. Um, we've, got, we've got a little a, a bit queued up. So tell us a little bit about this next bit that we're going to share. and we'll talk, we'll talk through it a little bit, but um...
0: I should probably put my glasses back on.:
1: Thanks <laughs> for watching this <laughs> episode.
0: We really appreciate you supporting Homie and the Dude. Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps.
3: So, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to watch uh, Unlucky. Yes. So, Number Unlucky one. Stars finale part one. Okay. Unlucky okay. Stars is a feature film. Um, it's a feature film written by my good buddy Dennis Rule. Um, it's a project that took about five years from start to finish to make because. We had no money and we had regular day jobs. Um, It was a passion project because we were tired of trying to get opportunities. So if you can't, if you don't find an opportunity, you gotta create it for your own self, right? So that's what Dennis did. Dennis wrote this uh, movie. And then we just went out and began to shoot it the best that we could. We had a friend, Sean Charney, who helped us with lights. Um, This fight right here, we may or may not have hopped some fences to get to the location. Uh, but this finale, this finale took about four and a half, three and a half days to shoot. Um, it, the finale was actually influenced by uh, the animated movie Street Fighter. So the final fight in Street Fighter is about nine minutes long. Yeah. And the design of that going between characters uh, that helped influence this. <laughs> I'm also a huge Guy richie fan and I love yeah. to mess around with time and I, I love um, transitions. So you'll see some of that, but um, this is the end of the movie. We're here to save um, one of the characters and um, things go completely wrong and everyone's got to pretty much fight their way to uh, save themselves. And in this, I, I get to fight Sam Hargrave and Dennis fights in this, he fights Manny. Everyone in this, everyone that's fighting this, just so you guys know, we shot this in 2011. We wow. shot this in 2011 and I'm happy to see that everyone has been able to establish, establish themselves in their own respective ways. So with that, tell cool. yeah, Cool, second one, let's go for it.
2: Give us some sound. Oh,
3: nice. so that costume is an homage to Samo Hum from Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars and yeah, this yeah. fight is actually an homage to Samo versus Richard Norton oh amazing do you know what
0: um, how, mu- how much padding are you wearing for when you're taking those falls a
3: second ago <laughs> Uh, I padded up uh, my legs for the most part, just uh, like my ankles and things like that. Um, and that was pretty much it for that fall. And of course, I <laughs> hit the one spot on my foot that wasn't padded. Sam gave uh, me some gels to keep to keep my feet nice and uh, safe. Yeah. But I'm a big boy, so when I flipped over, a lot of weight went down. Yeah. And my left leg, as you saw, was turned a little bit, so it hit the ridge of my foot. Uh-huh. Um, it all depends. I mean, s- some some stunt guys feel comfortable doing falls with very minimal pads, but also when you're wearing completely. a t-shirt, when you're wearing a t-shirt, it's hard to wear a significant amount of pads without them showing. On of the course, yeah.
0: Um, the, we saw some of your classic Vlad uh, cam there with the with the slow mo punches there. That was freaking awesome. <laughs> yes,
1: and a lot of nice close close sort of combat work there as well in that previous scene.
3: Some nice combination. Again, it, panels, it, 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 it's just a focus on what is it that we're trying to show. You know, if I'm going to show hand work, there's no reason to show feet. If I'm going to yeah. show a punch to the head real tight, then, you know.
1: That was a really cool transition. That was really nice. Yeah, I like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was all Sam. That was all Sam. Sam's an amazing improver. Um, Um, He's like, hey, why don't I just keep making fun of your weight? I'm like, that's great. (laughs) Because that's one of the themes over here in this movie. Um, And also a theme of the movie is that uh, your size doesn't define you. Everyone's able to
0: do very wonderful and amazing things. I was going to ask you, dude, because obviously, you know, um heavyweights in the UFC and whatnot some of these guys are you know you've got people like big country Roy Nelson and whatnot who look a certain way but are nimble as hell and can throw bombs and all this kind of stuff uh as, as someone who like you said you're you're a bigger dude how how, how does that feel how, how has that been for you in the industry like trying to like oh fucking hell that was a heavy hit <laughs> um, um how was a uh, how, how was that for you in the industry like almost like crushing that kind of image
3: it's nice um i think we all know that the general and stereotypical uh stunt person would be like some ripped up jock and it's nice to see that stunt people come in all shapes and sizes yeah you know um big small tall short fat thin um everyone needs to get doubled um yeah i don't uh, I, I was very fortunate to be able to transition to the fight coordinator position
2: yeah.
3: without having to do much performing. Because I mm-hmm. performed in my early career, which is what we're watching right now, the indie career. Oh, yeah, get ready, eyes wide open. <laughs> uh, you see that kick? Okay. Boom, yes. Yeah, um, there's a couple things there that are, so get, are really nice,
1: uh, what, sorry. So, well, so, well, one of them was, uh, just before I forget, uh, the, the landing that Sam had on the stairs. That was pretty sick. And then the very next, so he's, when you kick him and he does sort of a flip. Um, and then the next one where you, you sort of run him into, I guess that's a tank or something like that. Both of those were really nice. Really, really nice. And then
0: ending on that, that last little bit was
1: quality. As I well. was going to
0: say, we, who doesn't love a flying through the air drop kick to the side of the fucking <laughs> Like that, is, that <laughs> is, love that shit.
3: <laughs> So that, that was one of the things, I knew the guys were all going hard. Everyone's doing something different and unique. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I gotta pay my respects. I gotta do something big. I didn't want to fall. Let's pop me in the face. Okay. <laughs> and that was the second time. That was the second time. The first time the guy hit my head and it just slid. Oh shit. And the second time when, when he made contact on that one, I think I might've been out for like a second. Like I saw him like, cause it was a good solid hit. Like yeah. what Hong if we were in Hong Kong, I'd put my hand in the shoe, you know, and then I'd do one of these, like, boom, right to the head. Yeah. But we didn't have time for that. I got on my hands and knees. I told Sean, get down on your hands and knees and just give me a good pump side kick. Hit me in the head. Don't worry about anything. Just, just give it to me once. Because wow. that's, the, that's the idea. Like, let's do it one time really well so we don't have to do it ten to Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, but that's, that's how I, for example, I earn my merit. In the industry like i'll do things that other smaller guys might not do i'll do things that car guys won't do also um you know i'm a screen fighter when it comes to stunts there are different aspects there's vehicles there's high falls there's fire there's water you know there's fights and falls various different things um in my opinion i feel like screen fighters can become stunt people but not all stunt people can become screen fighters Screen okay. fighting is a dance, it's a ballet, you know, going back to it's the original ballet of martial arts uh, cinema. Yeah. So, me performing as a big boy and performing in a way that the lighter guys perform or the lighter women perform, just the lighter performers in general, yeah. that says something. And 100%. when we were performing in the indie world, again, you asked about pads. When we started, we didn't know anything about pads. What's a pad? Yeah. Yeah. jump up in the air, fall on your back. What's a pattern? You know, when yeah. we block what we would do at the end of the day is we would compare bruises. Like, Oh yeah. man, that's awesome. Look at this green one. Oh, look at this purple <laughs> one. Oh, nowadays like, oh, oh. you know, ah, yeah. you know, different, different category of people kind of like different martial arts. Totally. Nowadays, like you, you strike a kid, the parents are going to sue the martial arts school back in yeah. the day. You struck a kid. You're like dude, discipline, you know, discipline yeah. her discipline my child like that. Yeah. So it's all very different, but, um, I started performing in front of the camera by doing fights and certain falls that my body told me I could do. Yeah. Once the shoulder dislocation happened, it happened more frequently. I'd be on set, it'd pop out during the fall. I'm like, I don't, I don't wanna do this anymore. Um, mm. So I focused on making other people look good yeah. because I kept practicing and practicing and practicing. I knew what my job was. Yeah. So for me to get, like, I put out a short film um, and then I got a phone call from a stunt coordinator and then he was able to hire me about a year and a half later. So just so everyone knows, just because you do something amazing, doesn't mean the next day you're gonna get a phone call. These things take time. You gotta build yeah. a relationship and all that. Um, and when I did, my job was to make sure that the people look good. I continued to shoot and edit and I helped out with choreography. Mm-hmm. Every now and then I would go and perform, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, if there's a spot for me to get my ass kicked, like I did uh Penny Dreadful season four those big riot scenes, you might see me on the ground somewhere, you know, and I pick one of the newer guys and I tell him, you need to beat the shit out of me. You got to learn how to be aggressive. And I am the best person for that because I love to get beaten up. Like, I I love coming home, taking pictures of my bruises and things like that, right? (laughs) I don't love coming home with my arm in a sling because I dislocated my shoulder. Bruises are fine. Um, But again, you know, um, there are different organizations, stone organizations, that would look at people based on their size and weight a certain way. This is an industry where we play in an, in an imaginary field. We play with GI Joe dolls. We, pl- yeah. we, we play with action figures and people come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. yeah as long as you know how to go in and do your job, I don't think it should matter what you look like in, in that respect. Like, meaning you shouldn't be judged. Yeah. You shouldn't be 100%. judged. And. You know,
0: I, I fully feel that, dude. And I think, you know, it's something that a lot more industries need that kind of representation. Now, um, as a skateboarder, I can, I can speak, like, pretty much in the last. I mean, we saw his first competition. So there, there's a skateboarder called uh, Jamie Foy. And his nickname within the industry is Big Boy Foy. And uh, he's got, like, long blonde hair. And he is a big dude, like, massive wide shoulders um and he's round and uh don't get me wrong he's like the most lovely guy ever and one of the best rail skaters you will ever watch in your life the dude is like a fucking fly like sliding across is is incredible but he one of the things he says is because he's a bigger dude he can take slams a lot more than some of the skinny guys you know like me who are you know just bones you know when i hit the ground that shit like reverberates through me and break shit basically and um yeah we got some cushion yeah exactly and he he says like he's like one of the things that in his early days of skating was his weight allowed him to take his slams and learn stuff which is why he's very confident on giant rails where you know some of the dudes that like me aren't super super confident on that kind of stuff and actually it's now becoming a thing where guys are try- starting to almost And I'm sure as well, you'll agree with this in in the stunt industry. It started as cool. I'm a stuntman. I do martial arts and I train. But other than that, like I take a fall and I take a fall, like that's where it started, you know, especially when you're looking at Charlie Chaplin and people like that. Um, Nowadays, you know, there's people who are masters of the fall and, you know, do that kind of stuff. But it's the same with skating. You know, it started with super rawness. You're eating shit, you're falling down and you're getting back up. Now dudes are like, going to the gym and pumping weights because they're like, I need to be big like an American football player to take these bales. Like people who've got physios that are like, oh, you've got a problem with your knee. We'll spend two weeks sorting that and you'll be back on the board, you know, kind of thing. And it's not as raw anymore, but I guess that's why in some ways this new era of acceptance is allowing those people to kind of come through and, and do that kind of stuff. I also, think, it, I'm I, I
1: also think in skating, um, just like in stunt, work there is an importance a huge importance in knowing how to take damage how to take damage on the camera right so when you're falling or you know any kind of collisions that whole thing you know as as, as you know is is the difference between a long career and a short career or even a a, a a career that could have a career ending injury because someone just doesn't and even if even if you do know what to do sometimes you just get into a situation i'm assuming that you know, you're in the middle of the air and you're spinning around and you know sort of how you have to fall. But the, the spin is slightly off or the spacing or, you know, your awareness is slightly off and you know, things are going to go in a way that, you know, this potentially is how your shoulder got popped.
2: <laughs> <Damn> <laughs> it got no. that... <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so but, but there is an element of certainly in the skate world and, and, and any kind of collision type world where, you know, MMA, look at judo the first thing you learn in Judo is how to actually get slammed, how to get thrown and how to land when you get thrown. And so s- similar aspects, I, I, would, I would think. the one Same of- with
0: Jiu-Jitsu, even you get subbed as a white belt, a bunch. People are just submitting you, submitting you, submitting you, submitting you. And then almost by the time you get to your blue and your purple belts where you start putting it on people, you know how much you can kind of give someone before it becomes an injury. Yeah. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. So how much, how much of, of this concept of um, being an expert, really, really proficient at understanding how to sh- sort of make it appear like you've taken a lot of damage, but also sort of preserve your body along the way?
3: The best thing you can do, well, pad up. Uh, okay. Try to get as much rehearsal time as you can. No, I'm yeah. set, absolutely, we pat up. Absolutely, we're not. We're not talking about the indie world where it's like, uh, you know. Um, even nowadays, it's like, hey guys, pat up because you might have work next week, week after. Mm, now, yeah. when you start working in the industry, safety becomes a priority because you know you you could go down the step and next thing you know, you break your knee. Yeah, uh, like me running after my two year old all the time, like watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. like I'm a full time stunt coordinator and I'm not a stunt coordinator. I'm <laughs> yeah. just like making sure that. She's nice and safe. Um, so, sorry. Again, brain freeze. No, no, it's all right. We're just talking about
1: um, having the ability to sort of place yes. a
3: fall. Yeah. So, so the thing is, um, when you do it regularly, your body gets used to it, right? Um, yeah. One of the things we tell actors that are going to be doing the fight for the first time, especially with reactions, is your neck's going to pain tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Because if you do that, if you start doing it and you do it like 10 times and you do hard, give it all you got, you're not gonna feel it right away because there's all that adrenaline and energy going through your body. Yeah. You're gonna feel it the next day. You're gonna yeah. feel it the next day. The best thing you can do is keep training. It's like when um, when I train, if I don't kick for, well, during this pandemic, I've only kicked once, right? <laughs> I've only really, really kicked and trained once, which is bad. Yeah. Um, so if I were to train again, it would be a week of health for me after my first training. But mm-hmm. after that, I'm good. There's no more soreness. There's no more pain. And when yeah. I'm sore and I'm in pain, I still kind of train through it just to keep mm-hmm. the body going. Yeah. Um, so sa- same, sa- same thing, you know, like you practice falls on mats. You practice yeah. and practice and practice. So that way you're it, it's more for body awareness yeah, than yeah. anything else. Not to be like, oh, this is what it feels like. No, no, that's not what it feels like because you'll take someone and you'll have them fall on the mat and then be like, now pat up and do that on the street. And they're like, no. And they're like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I can't have any stunts anymore.
2: Yeah. You know, or at all,
3: because this is what it's like. So it's all about practice. Um, of course, the serious injury, like when I work with stunt people, I always try to ask, does anyone have an injury of any sort? Because if you do, I want to know about it. So that way we don't um, revisit that injury. Yeah. You know, we, 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 don't make it worse. We work around it. Work around, and, it, yeah. you know, work around it. That's, that's the best thing that you can do. You, you can try to be as safe as you can. Um, just work through everything. Rehearse as much as you can work. If it's a fight, work with your partner. Yeah. If it's an actor, try to work it out with an actor. Don't yeah. be afraid if the actor punches you in the face, that's okay. <laughs> that's happened. Yeah. I mean, when I shot that fight with Sam that we just watched, um, I don't think I performed or trained for some time. And I was one day filming. It was about five and a half hours. I could feel my body going into FU mode. Yeah. I think within an hour and a half of us finishing and being in our car driving back to Los Angeles. Yeah. Like I felt all that. Sam was great. Sam did a bunch of, he did a dead man. He did that crazy gnarly wreck onto the stairs. I think he did that twice. Like he was going hard. I just had to fight. And I got yeah. kicked in the head a couple of times. I did that one fall, but Sam had to do all the big stuff at the end of our day. Yeah. And when we're fighting, we're looking at the footage, even though I'm in front of the camera, it's still a glad shoot. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. I don't like this. I don't like this. This has to be harder, you know? We, we, we make it as perfect as we can. Yeah. So you have to understand the kind of condition and physicality that Sam was in to have been able to perform that fight and then do all those wrecks at the end. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the, the, la- the last stunt into that container, he's tied a line around himself, right? It's called a dead man. So what happens is you're on the line and it's kind of, it's kind of like a dog on the collar that's attached to something. It's gonna run and go and then back down. So that's what he did. He, he put all mm. the science and the physics together. He laid it out and I was just standing there overlapping the throat. So Sam's yeah. running in front of me, right? And it's the perfect cheat because Sam's in front of me and all I have to do is go boom. Now that's the last thing that Sam did. We yeah. just fought for like five hours. on screen it's what a minute and a half. We fought yeah. for five hours and then he's got to have the energy to go full speed and jump in that container and know he's gonna get yanked back. Yeah. So w- 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 so number one mindset number two training yeah you're, you're doing everything you can before the day you prep before the day so you don't look like a jackass. Right? Yeah. And that's the best thing, you, that's the best thing you can do. Pat up. You know, I I love uh seeing my actors in long sleeve because mm-hmm. I know I can give my doubles pads and I can give the actors pads and things like that. Okay. Safety first, as much as you can, pat up your actors. Super duper important for you young kids, stretch, 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 stretch.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Especially in the martial arts world, especially if you're a kicker. Because yeah. we all see what happens with those TKD masters. Their hips are so tight. They're like, mm. you know, <laughs> stretching, is, stretching is very important. 100%. Um, you know, it, it you, as a stunt person, you would do everything that you would do as a professional athlete.
0: As a yeah. professional
3: anything You would prepare yourself mentally and physically for what it is that you're about to do. You yeah. know, if you're doing a car, you've got to make sure that everything inside is, is, is right, is safe. If you're doing a high falls it's, it's all it's it gels when you're doing a fire burn everything there's a lot to be done but if you do it regularly and you keep practicing it you'll have an understanding and you'll be prepped the best way that you can for minimal minimal injury yeah i mean listen you you can train all you want but that one reaction might give you a little something in your neck and in the next two days you're like ah well that sucked you know or like i was saying um i was getting my ass kicked I was padded up. But even then, like I can't wear a pad that's like, you know, this thick. I can't do that. I'm wearing a pad that's like, you know, thick as my phone. Yeah. Maybe a little bit thicker. And the guy's wailing on me with a bat or like a crowbar mm. or something. Some of those shots are going to get through. You know, yeah. you're rolling around on pavement and all that gravel's there. Some of those pebbles, as you're moving and you get slammed, you know, you're gonna have marks. Some of them are gonna get stuck to you. But what can you do? what can you do? It's all about playing around. It's, it's going back into that mindset. I'm a five-year-old and I'm going to have fun. Mm, yeah. I'm going to get nice and dirty. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play with my friends. My parents can't tell me anything because this is my job.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. You mentioned that like whole beginning period where you, when you take some time off and you go back at it. And I'm the same when it comes to skating. The first thing that I notice when I get back on the board is one, how like if it's been like a couple of weeks off or like a month off, my quads are instantly super, like, like, within an hour, I can feel my thighs already hurting. But the big one for me is when you're skating and you're flipping and rotating a board, you're taking the board to the shin, like, fucking all the time. So my shins currently feel like an alligator's, like, jawline. It's, like, fucking <laughs> all kinds of messed up. Um, but when I first come back to it, taking that shinner, like, I have to stop for a minute and be like, oh, what the fuck like that up <laughs> two days in i can take a shinner and be like cool i'm just gonna keep going like i will literally just keep pushing and i feel fine and it's very much one of those ones where like you said and also i always find it, it's weird you know you said you like getting beaten up something about my skating like ritual is a war, I wore and it's funny as an 18 year old like 17 16 year old it was like party skater life like show up man have a beer get on the board and skate now I'm like in my twenties, I'm like, everything hurts. I'm gonna do my stretches in public in front of everyone. <laughs> I don't care. Like I need to stretch everything. And like part of my routine now is taking my first fall. Like when I take my first fall, it like sets me up for the rest of the day. Mm. I know that I'm now like, cool. I've gotten over that first one. Now I can take like a hundred more and I feel fine about it. So it's weird. You you mentioned that it's kind of a similar kind of thing with sunning, and again, I guess that's the whole, like, whole mitigation thing, like, within the stunt world is, at the end of the day, it is, you know, someone's job to, like you said, be yanked with a cable or thrown through a pane of glass or beaten with a baseball bat. But (laughs) also, at the end of the day, we also, it's a job where you have human rights still, (laughs) you know, where you you have all this stuff, and and at the end of the day, you can't just be beating someone with a baseball bat, you know, regardless of how much they're saying... I'll do it for money. Like, I don't mind, you know, like it's you're, you're totally right. And I think the safety part is something that loads of people underestimate with stunts and with all that kind of stuff. And also why a lot of Hong Kong theater and, and, and stuff where people are going full contact, minimal pads, you know, when that shit it's dangerous and that don't get me wrong. There's a reason why it was done back in the day and why now we have a lot more, like you said, procedures and things in place and also things have been tried and tested a whole lot more how many guys have been pulled on wires in the mo- in the world movie industry over the years versus 20 years ago how many dudes have been set full body on fire you know the gels the suits the all that kind of stuff like you said the pads i was going to ask you what are what's in the pads is it d3o is it like some sort of like material that when you hit becomes that, solid what, what are you putting in there
3: that is a great question and I honestly I don't have the answer to that. All I know is that it's a it, it's enough cushion hmm. to um, you know keep all those sensitive spots in place.
2: Yeah, and um, but I
3: don't know the specifics of it. Now the interesting thing is like for example, from the indie world, and then I saw some of this also, and I still see it now. Some of the old school people, you'll you'll see them have taekwondo pads because the taekwondo pads were really really thick but they also covered a lot more range on the arm but that makes you look bulky nowadays pads are getting a lot thinner um but they observe absorb more shock than they used to so i mean it it, technology we're we're, we're growing in the industry we're learning it's like you were saying procedure there's a procedure to follow and you know as everything gets smarter in the industry so the safety and yeah. safety equipment, and mm-hmm. how we operate that. You know, like it'd be great if there was a super duper thin layer of something that you can just put underneath your clothes that would never like be seen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like millimeter thick. And I, don't, I, I can see that happening in years and years from now. So that way, it's like if you put on a big pad, it's like, oh, I can see the elbow pad through the elbow. You know, like through, through the jacket and things like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, it's. It's interesting as well. You you, like, like we said, you know, it's gone from rudimentary to, and it's the same in skating. Like dudes were wearing fucking Converse and bands back in the day. Nowadays, there's these shoes that are like, I wear a pair of shoes that have seven layers of material with like Michelin, the same company who like make the tires make their soles. And then I put an insole in that you can drop an egg from like my head height onto the insole and it just stops dead and doesn't crack the egg. So, you know, I've now implemented some of these materials in my life that allow me to skate better, skate longer. Like, I remember the first time I did a five stair and I do you remember I came home and I was like limping on my feet. I, was like, oh, yeah. I have heel bruises that are so bad. As soon as I did that, I was like, I need insoles. The, like, I was like, I need them. That was the dumbest thing I've ever done is jumping down a set of stairs without insoles on. I was like, that was so stupid. Um, we actually have a question uh, come from someone uh, in, in the chat, Vlad. Um, first of all, his name's Tarek, and he says that you're, you're a master of the craft, and he really appreciates oh. what you do. Um, he also wants I, to know- I know you tar- <laughs> Yeah. Um, he wanted to ask, what are your favorite lenses for shooting fight scenes? What, 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 what lenses are you using on your, on your cameras?
3: And what, what cameras um, are you using days? So j- just to give a little history of cameras used, I started with a Sony Hi8, which was a mm-hmm. one-chip camera. Um, yep. then I got into, a uh, Canon three chip mm-hmm. camera, thanks to my yep. buddy, Sean Charney. Then I bought a Panasonic DVX yep. from my other buddy, Steven Reedy. And ju- just so you guys know, like when I was shooting this, like 720 had come out, I was always behind in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I shot with, uh, the Canon 5D Mark III shot with the Panasonic HFX, which is like the 720 version of the DVX. Mm-hmm. Then I was using the Canon 7D, and now, thank you, I'm finally on the Red. So I use the oh, Red wow. now. The Red, amazing. the Red Gemini with the 5K sensor. Yeah. Uh, wow, amazing. Um, now with the Red, to answer Tark's question, I love my 11 to 24 lens. It's an uh, it's a Canon lens. It's an L yeah. series lens with an f4 stop. But the reason I love it is because when I shoot Previs, I don't need to shoot it in 5K. So yep. when I'm the, the lowest format we have is 2K on the red. So yep. my 11 to 24 essentially becomes like a 50 to an 80, mm-hmm. like that. And then if I need more space, I go 3K, 4K, 5K. So for the yep. most part, I'm sticking with my 11 to 24. But mm-hmm. in general, I love shooting with a wide. I think it goes back to my love for Hong Kong cinema and yeah. being able to tell a story in a particular frame, like here's a frame, make it all work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 11 to 24 is my my favorite. Okay. If, if if I can get anamorphic lenses, I'm just gonna toss it out there. If anyone's uh, watching this and they want to send me the Atlas Master Anamorphic or the Orions, I'd be happy with those two. I, <laughs> I, I love the anamorphic look. I yeah. love those black bars. There's something about it that I feel gives a lot more richness. Um, yeah. There's a lot more production value behind it. Totally, I feel
0: you. And <clears throat> dude, I actually currently on the camera that we're, we're filming this on, I, I rock an 11 to 35. So I, I, I get what you're talking about. And um, it, it's interesting that you, you say that and that you've gone through all these progressions with your cameras now. Uh, I, I watch a, a group on uh, on YouTube called uh, the Corridor Crew, and they they have a, uh, they have f- reds galore and whatnot, and they've built lots of like gimbals and uh, and mounts and stuff. Are you are you building your own shit for it, or are you uh, or are you just oh, using straight no, shoulder no. popping on your shoulder and
3: going oh, for? Well, it? real quick, Tarek where is it? drew that picture of my head right there, me. So I just want to oh, say hey. thank you to Tarek. He's a wonderful <laughs> artist. Um. When it comes to gimbals and all that other stuff, man, I'll be honest, I hate it. I hate it. Give me the minimal. Give me the minimal. Um, I had an opportunity to work alongside the DP of the RAID. Oh, wow. And we we used the Reds, the Geminis. I I was B-cam operator. He was A-cam. And uh, it went from like a 13-pound setup to a 35-pound setup. And that wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a lot of atta- attachments that go onto the camera that I feel don't need to be there, but yeah. it all depends on who's ap- operating. For example, like if it's a camera person operating and yeah. I need the feed, you know, in video village, then it's like, I get it set all this up so I can see it and this and that. Um, all these uh, extra tools yeah like focusing, like a focus pull and things like that. I do all that manually. I do all that on my own. I'm yeah. a madman, I'm crazy. Because <laughs> I want things to keep moving. It's like Jackie Chan said, it's like I go to an American production. It's like, I need someone to get it. Well, the person from that department has to get it. I can't go and grab it. I like yeah. to move. So one of the reasons shooting with Vlad is how weak is because we keep moving. We eat at the end of the day, <laughs> you know? Um, it makes sense. But these, these rigs, like I'm not a fan. My rig, I have a bar on top and then I have a sidebar. Okay, nice, yeah. Like, I, 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 I love filming with my DVX because it had a little monitor and there was a camcorder, right? You're essentially shooting like this, you're holding and shooting. Yeah. My rig right now allows me to do that. When I shoot with a DSLR, like the, the beautiful thing about the Sony's is that they have a little pop-up monitor yeah. and then you can adjust that monitor. On the Canons, you don't, you see you're watching this. So many times it would be instinct. I have to trust my hands. Yeah, like I've done this enough times where my hands are watching everything. And I hope that it all turns out right and playback. Mm, and I'm slowly trying to do that with the red. The more I play around with the red, the more I'm used to the weight and I can get my Vlad camera angles and movements and things like that. If we have to rig it, no problem. I'll, I'll deal with it, but I hate rigs. I want to keep it to a minimum. Um, if you watch the Kingsman fight, the first Kingsman in the car or the second Kingsman, yeah. Chris Cohen from Thousand yeah. Pounds an amazing filmmaker, he said that he needs to strip the camera in order to do what he had to do. Wow. So there was literally almost nothing on it except for like the brain, the lens, and the monitor. Yeah, That's the way I like to work. If I'm the action director, if I'm the one that's looking for the shot, I don't need all these other people watching the screen. Yeah, I know what I'm looking at. And to be honest, I've done it so many times where it's like I'll watch a performer – I'd be like, your right hand was down. They're like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I'm like, your right hand was down. And it doesn't matter. I could have been running around for 10 minutes with them. Yeah. We go back, we go to the footage. and I'm like, you see? Your right hand was down. Yeah. Like, because of that practice. So I know when something doesn't look right on screen. That's why I want, you know, the least amount of stuff on there. I, I
0: fully feel that. And I think... You know, it, it, it's an assessment again. I, I can relate this to skating with with filming skateboarding tricks. You ro- we rock like what we call the scorpion rig, um, with a DSLR typically on it with some fisheye, or whatever, or or we or you're watching dudes rocking the old Sony X whatever's um, VHS, you know, uh, recording cameras and all of that is. 90% of the time you're not watching what you're doing on the on the monitor it's like cool I'm watching the skater I'm watching the skater I'm watching the skater oh and I got it oh and it's like you know it's, it's, all feel. it's totally feel it's to and it's mm. finding a relationship between you and your skater um so that you and I know like for example there's a very famous Japanese skater uh called Gomiagi um who is very unique does completely uh, eclectic skate tricks that are very different from what people kind of deem as standard skateboarding and he has one filmer that he is like religious when he films his video parts they come together and it's because their creative bond is what allows him to really get the best out of his tricks and get the best out of the filming and i i think there is that like you said and it's practice it's years of you know holding a camera and doing the motion and doing it back and you know like you said adding shake stopping shake because you're like i'm holding the camera but we can't be shaking right now you know kind of <laughs> thinking you know it's practicing all that stuff over and over again that you know makes you a master at what you do <laughs> and uh and you know, think... part of the performance part of the performance exactly as well, exactly you know? you know people go oh, you know, oh, the movies are great and I love watching this and that. But really, it's the masters who are in the craft, the guys who are doing the choreography, the stunt directors, it's the sound design guys. It's the dude who sits there and watches you do something and crum- crumples a piece of paper to give that extra little bit of sound effect. You know, it's, it's all of that. And I think, you know, it's, it's never really put into the forefront. But dude, um, today has been a massive insight for me um, in terms of learning about film and learning about the stunt industry. And um, even more than that, appreciating you uh, even more than I already did before this podcast and, and your work. Um, so thank you, man. I, I really appreciate it. We'll We'll start wrapping up Tom. Any, any last questions or anything? I, don't know. Like I think, that? I think,
1: well, maybe, maybe one last one. How was, how was uh, Tyrone the chosen one Woodley to, uh, I don't know how much, how close, close you were to him, but nope. I saw him in one of your clips.
3: Yes, uh, so we got to work with Tyron. I worked with him several times, uh, but the longest was on a Bollywood project called Sultan. It was the second Bollywood movie that I went and did, uh, and we had an action director by the name of Ragnar Stomo, who actually Mm -hmm. set me on the first one. And we got to spend a decent amount of Tyron both setting up the fights in LA and then working with him in India. Wow. Um, One of my most memorable moments with him was um, exercising. So Salman Khan is the Tom Cruise of India. Salman Khan is a huge, huge superstar. Yeah. And we had uh, set up about two, two and a half months of training with this actor to prepare him for his role in Sultan. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the training happened in this farmhouse, which is like 180 acres or 180,000 acres, God knows. So we'd be on this farmland, uh, we'd be in the gym, uh, lifting weights for about an hour, and then we'd go out into the sun. It's anywhere between like 94 to 105 degrees indian weather not american weather, indian weather <laughs> and and we're training martial arts and um tyron's there training with us and he's going over the fight with the actor and i have my jump rope out because i love to i love to jump rope believe it or not i love to jump rope right <laughs> and um tyron said let's do doubles and let's see how many we can do and he said my maximum is 62 and he banged out like 75 doubles on the spot, just <laughs> Amazing. He was, wow. and, he was great, you know, take after take, no complaints, no nothing. Nice. Um, and I, I think that's, that's, that's the best way to go about it in the industry. You know, Richard Norton said it the nice. best when he worked in Hong Kong uh, cinema, they told him, hey, just keep your mouth shut and have a long career. Yeah. You know, uh, it, there's a time to speak up, but Tyron was very respectful. Uh, this was before he became the champion. Yeah. Um, so it was just amazing to see him perform and continue with his training, you know, yeah. to make sure that he's on the right path for success. Yeah. But he he was great. He might have hit the actor once or twice, but the, <laughs> that the, that that happens. Listen, that happens whenever you're doing any kind of an action movie or a fight scene. Just expect yeah. someone to get punched or hit. It's no big deal. Yeah. It might be a bruise, but it goes away. But it was yeah. it was just super awesome.
0: I appreciate That's that. That's great. Um, So what we like to do at the end of these is give you some time to shout out like your YouTube, your Instagram, where people can see your latest project, what they should be watching out for. So uh, hand it over to you, dude. Where can people find you?
3: What's coming up? Everyone can find me on all social media platforms except for Twitter. (laughs) So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all under Vlad Rimberg, V-L-A-D-R-I-M-B-U-R-G. Try to make it as easy as I can for everyone. Um haven't really been doing a lot of indie stuff to post. I am posting more previous work that I've done that shows are coming out. <coughs> but I did start making a feature film. Uh, we have 21 edited minutes. I started during quarantine because I was going crazy um, and I couldn't sit down anymore and I did it in the safest way that I could. And we're pretty excited. So right now the 21 minutes is fully edited. It's in VFX. We're finalizing it. And uh, we're hoping to finish the rest of the movie sometime in the summer. Amazing. And, Dude, that's sick. Then, that's you
0: know, super sick.
1: Well, that might be a good opportunity for us to, We like we said at the beginning of the show, This is you're the last of our guests for season one. Um, we are going to wind down season one here at the end of 2020 and start season two at the beginning of 2021. But who knows? Maybe the timing will be right when your um, your feature is at uh, the end. You know, come back, maybe do a little director's cut or some sort of uh, behind the scenes. That would be kind of fun.
3: Oh, absolutely! Um, I'm I'm a big fan of seeing snippets here and there, kind of like with Jackie Chan movies before yeah. YouTube became a big thing. You'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a Jackie Chan fight that never made it to a DVD you have to go to this website to download it. So yeah. I'm trying to do that secretly right now, like I'll post right. an Instagram story and any of the platforms that I go onto, I'm going to start working on the teaser. Cool. So we can go ahead and put a little secret out, you know, like a little tease. That would be you know.
0: sick. Dude, that would be absolutely incredible. We'd love to do that. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, uh, for us then, uh, this has been Homie and the Dude. This is the last guest podcast of season one. We're, we're super stoked. It's been a, a crazy winding road uh, for for the first uh, for the first year of this. So um, and what what a way to end it, uh, Vlad! What a bang! Uh, this has been such a such an awesome show today. I've really really enjoyed it. Um, one thing I would say is, guys, you know what it is uh, for us? It's the Holy Trinity. So hit us with a like and follow on Facebook, a subscribe on YouTube, and share one of our podcasts on any form of social media. You never know uh, who would love to watch the show. Also, guys, we do now have a new donate. Uh, feature where people can donate to us so that me and Tom can keep doing this um, and keep (laughs) getting better film quality um, more incredible guests and all that kind of stuff guys Uh, so if you want to donate to homie and the dude you can do that now uh, as well Um, other than that episode 31 thank you guys so much thanks guys we'll see you uh, in
1: well We'll, we've got one more coming we'll see you in 2021 after that (laughs) thanks lad
0: right We're chugging through. We're loving doing this stuff for you guys. Um, If you want to support us, if you want to make sure that we can keep getting, you know, better quality set, better quality lights, make the filming better. Bigger um, bigger batteries for the camera. Bigger batteries for the camera. (laughs) Yes! You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, You can do that by just liking,
2: following the page, and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That is what really makes a difference to us.